Clerk, would you please call the roll? Yes. Okay, Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Charland is not here. Trustee Shequin. Present. Trustee DeVries. Here. Trustee Lawrence is not present. And Trustee Thompson. Uh, present. <laughs> and then for third mem members of the board, Trustee Bouquet is not here. Trustee Fernandez is not here. And Trustee Jensen is not here yet, although she's expected. Okay, but we have a quorum to proceed? Yes. Very much. Just to be clear, the Finance Committee has a quorum to proceed. Okay. Oh, thank you. That's good, right? Yes. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks. Any public comments? No. Thank you very much. So the first item after the approval of the minutes of uh, April 12th, um, I'll take a motion to approve those. I'll move that we approve the minutes from the April meeting. Second. Great. Any uh, discussion? Uh, all in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Carried. The next on the list is uh, Ms. Katz for your report. I want to thank you. Um, there has been a difference in the uh, operating report in your second visit to the finance committee. And, um, it's really nice to have a little more depth information, um, and it's it's noticeable. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through the details of the finance report since you all have the write-up. Um, I think I'll just ha um, I'm going to point out some highlights. Um, Lewis is going to go through more details regarding back to budget and operations and all that. Um, we'll talk about the ruling forecast, and then I want to touch back on the revenue cycle questions that were asked at the last meeting and, and give a little update on that. Okay. Okay. So patient activity continued to be strong in March. Um, the acute average daily census was the same as February. Um, it was 2.5 or 2.9 percent above budget. Length of stay dropped from 6 to 5.6, but it still remains above budget. Um, we've got post-acute ADC slightly over budget, 296. Emergency visits continue to be lower. Um, clinic visits were slightly over budget. The physician RVUs I want to point out. Um, they continue to improve. The February monthly average year-to-date was 75,345, and we were at 87,679 for the month, so that's really good. Um, and, and next year there'll be, uh, a budget, there'll be a budget item for them, so yes. that's something to benchmark against. Thank yes. you. Sorry for um, uh, actually, I'm sorry, Nancy, I wanted to make sure, because we, we, based on the last meeting, I think in the ongoing budget, budget discussions, we talked about that. I was going to lean in, but I mean, Dave is trying to capture me here. Um, I think, if I remember correctly from our discussion, though, that Jody was saying something about until we have a full year, which we won't have until the end of the fiscal year, that there were some limitations to how much that could be factored into how we did did the budget. So I just want to, I kind of want to validate that. I don't know if you recall what that discussion was. Uh, she's back there. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm looking for you. So can you, can you repeat for me what that was in terms of our ability to use the RVUs as a basis for the budgeting this year was still limited? And so. Correct. For the, for the revenue, uh, the contracts are being developed on the basis of revenue uh, RVUs, but charges at this point, we didn't have enough history to project the 
property. And so we just kind of took a running average and we'll revisit that later in the year. So does that mean there will be a budgeted number? I think we started reporting them three months ago. Right. So in next year, later in the year, you'll see a budget number and until then there will be a year. I will try and do it retrospectively. Okay. So that we get that information, but we're still working on it. Okay. I just think it becomes a more valuable number if we have right now. If we have a final four. I agree. So, I agree. But I totally understand. We, Thanks. Yeah. And I want to welcome, I was so excited that when I came in and all these happy, smiling faces were sitting over there besides Joey and Ashwari and Ann, and uh, found out that they were the finance department who actually put all this together. So thank you very much for your work. It's the team. I know you're the unsung heroes of the, of the finance group, but thank you and welcome to the meeting and really appreciate your efforts to get us to where we need to go, Ms. Katz. Thank you. Um, okay, last note is that um, our year-to-date volume is still under budget, but it has improved um, over the prior month. So um, there was some improvement in our net patient services revenue for the month of March, mainly due to improved inpatient activity compared to the budget. The collection ratio was right on budget at 20.5%. Um, we, we have some improved contract rates, so the collection ratio is expected to be at 20.6 by the end of the year. Um, the supplemental revenues were 18.1% over budget. We continued to re, um, adjust reserves and we brought in 4.2 million from the um, prior year adjustments. I just want to note that this is likely the last month that you're going to see positive adjustments right. from those reserves. Mm -hmm. And we are bringing in additional supplemental revenues, but we're going to be reserving that. And this is for a different issue, um, an FQHC issue. It's a different issue than what we've been bringing in reserves from, but we, we have um, something that we've determined that we have a bigger need to have reserves for. Um, so that it's an appeal that's currently uh, under, uh, something under appeal with DHCS. Would you say as a general comment that um, year to date, um, some of our catch up, because our, our revenue is only up by 3.8%, our expenses are still running 8.6% um, in variance to budget, um, that we've made a lot of catch up because of some of these breaks we've got on the supplemental front. So. Yes, and and that's I mean that's kind of typical with what you'll see at, at public hospitals. Because oh no, I, I know. <laughs> so, but yes. I mean, obviously, we still want to run a hospital and keep an eye on the operations of the health system, knowing that the reason why these supplemental revenues are here is for hospital and health systems like Correct. ours to help us play catch up a little bit. So. Correct. Great. Okay, on the expense side, um, the March expenses continue to be over budget. However, we, we are seeing improvements from the back-to-budget plan. And I want to note that while we know we had some structural, I don't know what's going on over here, um, structural um, issues with our labor budget, um, if you combine salaries, wages, and registry together, we're just about on budget for the month. So that's, that's really good. Um, It's closer, so let's let's keep it where it is. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, just to note, purchase services, um, they were overdue to some one-time expenses from population health captation work um, and some catch-up of some IT expense. General administration um, were over, there's a variance due to some legal expenses for benefits and EHR work. And then repair and maintenance continue to be 
um, over budget, mainly due to work at Fairmont and George, John George facilities and some medical equipment repairs. Um, none of them met the capitalization policy, and the John George work was not related to the ligature issue. Wow. Okay. Um, so overall, March results were great. Um, we had an operating margin that exceeded budget for the first time this year. We had an overall, uh, positive overall net income for the month with a 7.1% EBITDA margin. Year to date, the EBITDA margin is 3.1%, which is up from the 2.6% from February year to date. Um, and then based on our projections, we expect to meet our budgeted EBITDA of 4.1% for the year. Um, here you can just, it's a summary by strategic business unit, you'll hear more about this later, but you can see that provider delivery and ambulatory continue to be standouts compared to budget. Um, the key balance sheet metrics are improved across the board. Uh, cash is up, days in AR are moving down, the days in accounts payable are down. Um, we've, we've changed the um, net negative balance forecast um, to go through the end of 19, um, and we intend to be compliant with our agreement with the county. Thank you very much. I know no easy feat to extend that in a rolling 12-month forecast. Mm -hmm. At some point, can you put on your list to explain to us why a billion-dollar health system operates with three days of cash? <laughs> I think it would be good just to have a quick operational view of that, because I understand that we're flushing into the county account and we have right. a lot of credit and all that. Bit. But anyway. Okay. Okay, so I know you can't see this, but this is just for your reference so you know where to look. Um, you know, in doing the 12-month rolling forecast, we first needed to project to year-end. So that includes the fiscal year 18 um, projection, and it was done somewhat separately from the budget that was done, but we came out remarkably very close. Not exact, but very, very close. Um, and so just also to note that the grade columns um, are actual, so they're fixed, and then the, the white columns are the ones that are projected. So here, um, I've kind of shrunk it down so you could just see the, the projected um, portion. The assumptions that were included here were that we had increased net patient services revenues from our alliance contract and our oak care ED billing. Um, supplementals from the GPP, Prime, EPP, and QIP have additional amounts. However, they have been offset for that um, prior year uh, reserve adjustment that we need. Um, we have some additional supplemental funding, including the receipt of the Kaiser EPIC grant. Um, I do need to say that some of this may have to be booked directly to the fund balance because some of it's for operations, some of it's for capital. Um, but we, so the numbers may move around, but we do believe that we're still going to meet the projected um, EBITDA target. Um, the expenses on the projection <coughs> include some savings from the back-to-budget plan, um, as well as some continued increases in pharmaceuticals and maintenance, as we've been seeing. And at bottom line is we expect to um, achieve our 4.1% EBITDA. Are we still committed to the back-to-the-budget plan, even though we've uh, received some good breaks on the um, Prime and GPP? And yeah, that's how we're, we're, okay. conti we're continuing with operational improvements to, to meet our targets. Just to reiterate, so we, uh, while those favorable breaks would, would, would be uh, 
uh, incrementally uh, beneficial for us, as Nancy was saying a second ago. Uh, we have through their review of our, our supplement or our, our reserves and uh, kind of where things stand in terms of uh, uh, risk along those different lines. Uh, we've we've taken the decision that we're going to move more of those resources into our reserves, so they'll they'll, they'll go there to protect us in future outlays or future liabilities. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Um, so again, this is just a picture of the 12-month rolling forecast. You'll, you'll have to refer to your handouts because it's very hard to read. Is this based on, is, is the forward portion of this based on the budget that we're currently operating under or the budget you're hoping to get approval on? This, the 12-month rolling, um, has what we're currently under, operating under for, through the end of the year, and then it uses the budget that we are current, okay. currently seeing. Um, so the here's this is just the fiscal year 19. Sorry. Um, so this is just a snapshot of the fiscal year 19 projected months, um, and it shows you the 12 month total. And you can see that the monthly EBITDA um, ranges from 3% to 5.8% um, throughout the year. Um, the assumptions that are in that 12-month rolling forecast, um, it's based on the fiscal year 19 budget. It is a work in process. Um, just so that you know, at the time of trying to put this together, we didn't have the actual volumes by site, by month, seasonally adjusted. Um, so what I had to do here is the revenues and expenses were really adjusted by the days in the month and adjustments for labor, you know, holidays and overtime and that. Um, so we will be, this is continuing, it's oh, going to be continuing to, to So thank you very much. Yes. Okay. Um, and then also there was, if you look at the detail, you'll see that there was a significant increase in the supplemental line starting in July, and that's due to the movement of EPP and QIP down from net patient services revenue um, down to the supplementals. Um, but I couldn't go back and restate you know the current the current um, budget that we're working in. We are when we do 19, we'll have it restated. But for this purpose, I couldn't do that. Um, so these are going to continue to be refined. And um, mm -hmm. with that, I'm going to ask you if there's any questions regarding the monthly financials before we move into the next section. Hearing none. Trustee DeVries, you're still with us. You may be on mute. Yes, perfect. Just want to make sure. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Katz. Okay. So at the last Finance Committee meeting, there were several questions regarding the revenue cycle um, and a request for some more information. So I thought I'd try to start this education process and address some of those questions. Do we have this handout, by the way? I don't think so. We have it in a memo format. There was a memo on the collection percentage, and I, we can send this, get this to you. Okay, it would be great. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in its simplest form, um, the revenue cycle is basically the patient scheduled and registered, the services provided and documented, including you know the coding and entering the charges. Um, then the patient is billed and, and payments are received. But there's really a lot more to it than that. That's a simple, a simple version. So when we look at the revenue cycle finance-related activities, we've got scheduling and pre-registration. And this is where we're currently working on as part of our revenue um, 
cycle improvement process. We're working on the, uh, having a centralized authorization center, so I highlighted that there. Um, then we have admissions and registration, and this is including you know patient access activities where um, there's facilitating of the Medi-Cal enrollment and financial counseling. Then once the service is provided, we have charge capture. And in the background, that's where we have our CDM, our charge description master, um, and the, the maintenance of that and the setting of charges that we're going to touch on a little bit later. Um, we have case management, which is there to ensure that patients are at the proper level of care. Um, health information management is where patients are coded for diagnosis and procedures, which are necessary for billing. And you can see the little asterisk there after HIM. Um, that, at this point, is where we can actually calculate what the net revenue um, that we should be receiving um, for the patient. And if it's done on a monthly basis, then we can use that information to set collection goals for billing and collections. So we continue on around the, the revenue cycle. We have revenue integrity activities that are making sure all of the entered charges can be billed. We bill and we collect. We send accounts that um, are unpaid to collection agencies if necessary. And then after this is where we can calculate our collection percentage, um, which is we're going to discuss in detail. So just to note that all along this revenue cycle, um, there's human factors as well as system factors that can impact the final disposition of an account and then affect our collection percentage. So what is the collection percentage? So we show two on our financial statements. Um, we show the one that says NPSR, net patient services revenue, and we have a total. But net patient service, the NPSR is the net patient services revenue divided by gross charges. And basically, it's the amount that the patient services department is, uh, revenue cycle management, what they're responsible for collecting. It's based on actual billing and collection activities. Basically, the net patient services revenue in March is what the billing office should see in cash in May, for example. Um, so this number has not been pure in the past because we had included some Medi-Cal supplemental, you know, managed care supplemental um, amounts in there. Um, and so for 19, of course, we've moved those down to supplemental revenue in the budget. It also includes our HPAC and capitation revenues, which would start in, in April. Um, those actually need to be billed for encounter purposes, um, but they're not, the payments is not based on those billings. So, what do you mean encounter purposes? Um, so we may receive capitation payments, but the services have to be billed to the plan so that they get an encounter. They get the information oh, okay. and right. stuff. Um, it, it may not be sent exactly the same way, but it has to be processed through the system. Um, and then for HPAC, those, they're not billed to get paid the amount. We have a block, basically a block grant amount, but we still have to do reporting to the county for the services that are provided. Yes, can I ask a question? Uh -huh. So is the system set up when you're looking at, at collections, right, mm -hmm. to understand what the expected reimbursement is? So I'll that way, that. oh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to put you ahead that. Um, okay, so uh, when, we, when we calculate out what, what the collection goals should be, we're going to obviously have to make an adjustment for the HPAC and the capitation revenue because that's not what they're actually going to be coming through on PBS. So 
trustees, you had asked if um, how we know what P PBS or patient business services is collecting. That they're collecting all that they should. So by calculating an expected net patient services revenue that's based on actual charges and activity for the month, which is what I would call the income statement approach, um, and comparing that to the cash collections, like from March to May, um, when we look at May. Um, that's one of the best tools for identifying whether or not they're, calcu they're capturing what they can. And so, um, unfortunately, AHS hasn't really been doing those monthly um, net income calculations. I mean, this is something that had come up in my review back in 2014. Um, what they have, what they do with them, what they have been doing is they look at um, they basically, net revenue gets calculated based on looking at the, the balance sheet. So they're, they have to work together, the income statement approach and the balance sheet approach, you have to work them together. But if you only look at the balance sheet, you're assume, basically assuming that PEBS is collecting everything that they're supposed to. And so there is not that um, you know, check and balance there. So we're putting that in place. I mean, that's one of the things that we've already started working on it. Um, uh, so that we will, by next year, by the beginning of the fiscal year, we will have that calculation in place and we will be setting um, cash collection goals for our patient business services department. Um, so, and, and to do that, I mean, it's really a matter of, you know, you have to look at, for Medicare, for example, you have to look at Medicare discharges and the case mix index and do a calculation for what you're supposed to get specifically. We have to look at FQHC visits times our FQHC rate. We have to look at Medi-Cal days times our Medi-Cal rate. And so we, right now, we don't have the reports set up to give us the information that we need on a monthly basis to do that. So we're working on getting the data together so that we can start that calculation. When will you expect that to be completed, that process? In um, well, I plan, I mean, I've asked for the data, and so I'm, I'm hoping that starting July of next year, we will have that in place. Okay. And then the second collection percentage that we show is total, which is net operating revenue over gross charges, and that includes all the supplemental revenues that are considered patient revenue, but they're really not patient-specific. Why is our collection percentage so low? Um, well, we don't operate like a fast food restaurant, and where they require you to pay um, in full before you order your before they you know when you order your food, and unless you have a coupon, you're going to pay the price that's listed for you on the menu, right? Hospitals like a restaurant do have a menu of gross charges, and by federal requirements, we are required to charge all patients and their payers the same gross charge for the same service. But not all payers are going to pay us the same. Um, and very few actually pay our gross charges. Government payers reimburse under fee schedules or at cost, and hospitals must basically accept the amount they're going to pay if they want to be paid for the services for their enrollees. Um, commercial payers um, generally will pay either contracted rates. They may pay based, if we don't have a contract, they may pay based on charges, but many times then the patient has a high deductible plan or coinsurances that they may or may not pay or they may not be able to afford. Uninsured patients may or may not qualify for charity care and they may or may not pay, especially if they've already received the service. Um, patients may need services that their insurance won't authorize or won't cover, which means that 
there's not going to be any payment for that if the service is provided. And because of these issues, there's a big difference between our gross charges and what actually is collected. Um, and in the budget um, presentation later, we'll show you some of the um, payment percentages that we receive by the major payer categories. Um, there's also another quirk um, with government payers. The Medi-Cal program is a state federal program. So for the pre-ACA enrollees, Medi-Cal payments were funded 50% by the state and 50% by the feds, okay? Um, the federal percentage is much higher for the newly eligible um, people. It's currently at 94%. Um, but for much of the Medi-Cal funding that we receive at AHS, our inpatient fee-for-service, our Medi-Cal waiver and supplemental payments, we actually have to put in that state that state portion. The state doesn't put it in, we put it in. Um, and so when we look at our payments as revenue, we, um, book, we only book the, the amount of cash that we actually receive, um, as, or the, the net amount, or the federal amount on those ones where we have to put in the, um, the non-federal share. But from a federal government perspective, we actually got the gross amount of funding. So an example for this is the, the managed care rate range IGT, where we put up $20 million in an IGT for the non-federal share. Um, DHCS also charges us a 20% fee on that IGT for their admin fee. So we put up another $4 million for that. And then we receive a $40 million payment back from the managed care plan. So we book $16 million as our net revenue. That's the 20 million, um, or the 40 million minus the 20 and minus the four. But from a federal perspective, CMS says we received 40 million, okay? We have a similar issue with our CPE-based, um, you know, programs where um, our Medi-Cal fee-for-service, where we get reimbursed cost. We, we spend the money all up front. We put out the cost. And so if, for example, our cost is $5,000 a day for an inpatient, we get paid $2,500. But from a federal perspective, since we got quote-unquote cost reimbursed, we got $5,000. Um, so if we showed all our CPE and IGT-based revenue at those gross calculations, um, the collection rate obviously would be much higher, but it wouldn't really reflect the net revenue that we're actually receiving. So you think about that, well, okay, if, if we're only getting paid 20% of our overall of our charges, why don't we lower our charges? Well, we have another regulation that we have to deal with, and that is called the usual and customary charge limit. Where for Medi-Cal funding um, for these programs, we can't get paid more than our charges. Yes. You'll get to an example. I mean, if our collection rates are 26 percent more or less, 16 million of 40 million is about 40 percent. So that collected ratio is higher than what we're reporting on our financials. I know that was just one example, but well, that was one example because that, that's where those supplemental revenues that we're reporting, if you. Um, instead of like for one of the lines, it's instead of having it be you know 20, 20 million or sixteen million, it was really forty million, right. right? So that would have bumped up that the the total collection ratio, not the the net patient services oh, one. It would have bumped okay. up the total. So instead of being thirty, it probably you know would have been our total would have been you know sixty maybe something okay. like that. So um, back. The, the usual and customary charge limit where we can't 
receive more than our charges back when the medical dish program started and public hospitals started having to put up igts to fund the non-federal share um, and we were able to draw dish up to 175 percent of our uncompensated mm -hmm. medical and uninsured costs um, but the problem was that our that was limited by the total amount of charges for medical and uninsured so back way back then we had to start bumping up charges in order to make make sure that we could draw down the maximum amount under our over limits um, and then as time went on you know in addition to you know um, as time went on, we have these charges. If we start reducing them, then it's going to impact our net revenue because of the insurance companies and what they pay. Okay. So the question was asked about um, how we set our charges, um, and it's not, you know, a typical. It's not just a cookie cutter approach that you, you know, go through and say, okay, our cost is this, and our charge is going to be this specific for each certain item. Um, you know, a vast majority of our patients have government payers and are not affected by our charges. Um, so we try and fit things within the following parameters. We have to have charges that are greater than reimbursement at every, for every specific service, you know, that we provide. Um, and we also have to fit under that UCC calculation for our overall reimbursement. So for example, on the, the managed care, we, we get all these fundings, IGT, um, based fundings. We get the rate range and then we also are going to get the e EPP and the QIP. Well, all of those have to fit under our managed care charges, right? So it, it just, it, it complicates things. Um, we also want to be around the median on average for the pricing at our surrounding area hospitals. Um, and in fact, to get closer to that in certain areas, in 2017, charges were reduced in certain areas um, within the, the charge master. And we utilize a program um, called Craneware that provides us with average area charge data. Um, and we're actually able to select the facilities that we want to see the data for um, that we can compare. So we make sure that we stay kind of within the median um, pricing. Um, and then finally, um, we're working to try and have consistent pricing across all of our facilities. We're not there yet because obviously when those facilities um, San Leandro and Alameda came on, they already had their own charging set up. So we, we've been moving towards trying to get to that, um, the same charge across our, our system. Um, and when we install Epic, we will have one charge master, so we will definitely get there by then. So I know it's a lot, and I'm trying to make a complicated system easy to understand, so hopefully this helps. And I'm going to ask you to repeat it all at the end, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a great job. Yeah. You are indeed, yes. So unless you have any questions, that's that's it for me. I have one question. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I want to make sure you can hear me. So, uh, that is a rhetorical question, but if we lived in a single-payer type system, would we have I, that would be like Kaiser. I mean, probably not. Wouldn't have to worry. Yeah. We'll get the fairy dust out for the next meeting, trustee Debris. 
So I was just thinking about how much money we can save, not trying to figure out how to do all this. That's all. <laughs> it is a totally convoluted system that only a government could conceive of, um, truly. That's exactly well, no, but it's also the private insurance industry. Yes. It's really negotiating rates. Yes, exactly. That it has nothing to do with the actual cost of service. That's right. Yeah. Agreed. I thought I knew what NSRP meant, but just looking at that and knowing how our charges have to be more than the reimbursement and yet be median compared to all of that, that's really very, very helpful. Thank you. And, and it's interesting because CHA, uh, the California um, Hospital Association, they were really pushing on this thing to lower, have hospitals lower their charges, and it, it causes a problem for public right. hospitals. Um, if, if, you know, if everybody just lowered their charges way down, you know, but we still have these things that we have to meet because of all the IGT funding that we do, it would make things very difficult for us. But I think it is super important that we get a copy of your presentation and you keep it handy because sure as shooting three months from now, one of us who have, all of whom have outside jobs are going to say, why is our collection ratio 26%? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in the updated. It's in the way to a longer minute. Four months. It's on here now. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. it's in now. Okay. That's great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, any other questions for our Chief Financial Officer? Mr. Fonseca. Okay. This, this oh, you're the slide. He's, 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 he's bringing it up here. So. Excellent, thank you. So uh, again, as customary, we will be providing a slightly deeper dive to what uh, Nancy has already shared. Um, breaking it down by uh, strategic business units, as we've discussed. Uh, overall, as, as Nancy uh, communicated, uh, it, it was a strong month. We had uh, uh, good performance in, in, in pretty much all areas. Uh, looking at population health, the biggest driver here, there are no revenues in this in this particular call center as part of the allocations, but one of the things that we're managing is our expenses. And so our leaders over population health uh, have made some, some adjustments there. As you can see, you know, this, this some of this is driven largely by uh, the discussion we had regarding the salaries and the, the, the methodology that was used for, for budgeting salaries. And so therefore you can see in the metrics where the FDEs are below uh, their budgeted FDEs, yet their salaries are above. Uh, target. So that's one of the larger contributors, but they're still continuing to manage uh, certainly their operations, managing overtime, managing weekend schedules. They're also working closely uh, with their HR business partners and uh, our labor uh, representatives to make sure that uh, uh, we, we have the appropriate coverage, that we're rebalancing our schedules and that we're doing things in a way that's going to provide us the, the best return and the best so we can provide the best care for our patients. And under provider delivery, uh, this is an area where we continue to see good performance. It continues to improve month over month. Uh, a lot of this has to do with, uh, again, as, as we were projecting over the year, uh, we, we had limited data. And as over this past year, we've, we've taken a very concerted effort to ensure that we're improving our professional fee uh, billing process and how we're managing those efforts. And we're seeing that we're continuing to outperform uh, clearly month to date and year to date. From a labor perspective, uh, we're uh, below uh, budget. Uh, they're continuing to perform well as far as the statistics for FDEs below 
our budget of 294 for the month at 264. Uh, and then the RVUs, which we discussed, we're going to continue to monitor that, and we'll see some improvements, and we'll start creating that baseline for the future years. How many people are at the on registry at uh, the Alameda Clinic? How many people are on? We registry expenses above budget due to temporary staffing at the clinic. I assume that's the Alameda H. That is, so, so yes, so for this month here, and as you recall, for the opening of the clinic on April 1st, uh, as we were ramping up, bringing in some additional staffing, uh, it, we're talking about two or three people out there. That have we hired full-time people? Yes, we have. Have. No, we have. Okay. There's a ramp up. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a, a slight ramp up yeah. we did that, so. But that's where we're at at that point here. Uh, and, and equally, I don't have it here, but we do have also a full-time position that has also been hired and has accepted the position, so. Well, I have it there, Josephine Agbawo. Agbawo. Okay, ambulatory. Uh, we uh, had, a, again, the, the, the good work continues. Uh, we're seeing uh, some, some improvements, uh, and we're certainly meeting our budget and our targets. Uh, as you can see, the primary care uh, year-to-date, we're about 3,000 from our, from our budget, from our target. Everything I, uh, everything that uh, we hear from our ambulatory team is that they feel, uh, uh, they feel good about the fact that they will be able to close that gap uh, for for primary care. Unfortunately, for specialty care, that's a much larger hurdle, and so that's something that they will continue to work on. But they probably will not meet that target for this year. Why are volumes up at Alameda, um, but yet we're still losing money in Alameda? I wish I could claim it. But I was surprised that Alameda, you know, for ambulatory care, we're 11.03 and our budget was 9.12 and we're ahead for a year, um, but yet we're still struggling on a profitability basis in Alameda. Well, I thought our volumes had been down, but apparently not, at least on ambulatory. Well, this is, this is total visits for multiple different services that are happening in the island. And so, I mean, again, this is our bone and joint clinic. This is our surgical clinic. These are our, our wound care clinic. I mean, so, uh, again, you know, the, the different mix of those services, I mean, will certainly have an impact on, you know, overall capture of revenues and things of that nature. So, I mean, again, we'd have to drill down a little deeper to kind of... Are we worried about it? I mean, we, we were profitable last year, and all of a sudden, the last three or four months, we've dipped to negative. I understand um, San Leandro being dipping negative because of taking out some space and redoing the third floor, but Alameda continues to be a, a problem. And is but, but this has, this, remember, this is... No, I mean, as a general basis, we're still down. This was just one slide, but... Right, and, and this is for the outpatient clinics, Correct. right? So they nothing to do with the with the hospital performance itself. I'm talking about hospital performance. No, so this is just for the clinics. I know, but I'm still going, going back to hospital performance to say, are we concerned about Alameda Hospital's performance? Because it seems to have dipped and continues to dip, correct? Alameda performance, well, we'll look at it here. We'll see the breakdown as far as, I mean, I have it here by SBU. We have the breakdown for by, by facility. Yep. Uh, and, and we do. Right. So, in, in fact, um, Alameda Hospital, I mean, I'll have to go back and, and, and look at this uh, for you here, but uh, they have been performing well with San Leandro that we've seen the dip here over the last several months. Okay. So... Alameda, not as much as not, you know, they're not seeing a dip as much as San Leandro is, but it is yeah. a dip. 6% less than... I think it, is, it is a dip, and it was positive for most of last year, and it seems like the last three, four, we can go back and look. We've been dip dipping into negative, and I'm just curious what we're going to do about it, or if that's this plan, you know, to have Highland subsidize. 
we'll go back and look at that and we'll make sure we provide some more details on that. Okay, that's great. Fair the one question I have going back to um, where we are currently in this month, it looks like productivity has gone way up on the, on the inventory care on the physician side, mm -hmm. especially in primary care. What do you attribute that to? So, I mean, it looks like you've done a really good job. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the, if you recall, several months, I mean, there's been a tremendous amount of ongoing work, but it was regarding, you know, establishing some more standard templates. It was about establishing policies, no cancellation, no clinic cancellation policies. Uh, you know, there's different, uh, a variety of different activities that uh, Palav and her team have been really, you know, working closely with the physicians. And so, I, again, that's what's really uh, setting, you know, the expectations of what we want to see, and that's what we're seeing as a result of the overall performance as far as meeting our targets and meeting the volumes. So you think the templates have really driven productivity more than? I would say, I mean, that's been a key contributor for sure. I mean, if you recall, you know, we, we rolled out, uh, I mean, this is primary and specialty. I mean, we rolled out next gen and, and, and pretty much the rest of our specialty clinics. And so there was a time of, you know, period in time there where they, there was some, there was a ramp up period for that. But, uh, but overall, I mean, it really has to do with, you know, the, exactly how they're defining the operations and how they're expecting, you know, our providers to, to perform. I see it more on the, on the primary care side. I see productivity going way up. I don't see it so much on the specialty side. Specialty still, uh, it's still in process. On the primary care side, I think it is, uh, as Lewis is saying, the templates, but it's also okay. uh, policies uh, around, you know, uh, maintaining uh, clinics and uh, uh, what to do when a provider is going to be out and how we make sure that we continue to see patients, uh, the purchase to doing uh, uh, more reliable follow-up or um, reminder calls uh, for patients, uh, or whether they're uh, human-based or automated, because uh, we use um, uh, electronic means of doing those as well. I just think all of the combined sort of rigor of all those mm -hmm. efforts is really uh, bearing out. Yeah, whatever you're doing, keep access. it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the, improvement, the access improvement is definitely there. Good job. Thank you. This one, you want to add anything? Uh, no, just uh, the, the model of care of team-based care and uh, uh, and efficiency in treating the clinic like, like an ICU, basically in terms of staffing, just uh, all of these uh, all of these efforts. Plus, we have a dashboard, which is a weekly dashboard, and problem solving around that dashboard in terms of uh, the initial rate, in terms of uh, you know filling up all the, the slots. So it's a lot of work that's been going. Palau has built also a, a very uh, strong operational team at all our FQAC just to look at, at, uh, at this uh, access. And is the, is, oh, go, go ahead. Yeah. The variation there in, at the Halo Clinic, it's, you know, 16% over budget in the ambulatory, but Newark, is that due to the rollout of the redesign or any of that, too, that you see that, you know, the Newark is staying to budget, mm -hmm. but, like, you see pretty exponential improvements in Hayward or some mm -hmm. of the others, so the variation between mm -hmm. clinics as well. Sometimes we have a provider uh, that was, uh, that had left or retired, and then we backfill, so it shows this, this variance okay. that we, we come back. Uh, I think we have recruited somebody to Hayward. To so sometimes it's just down to one or two providers yeah. that there. But in general, there has been like a, a totally different like approach mm -hmm. to the primary care in terms of team-based care, uh, weekly dashboard, uh, accountability of the medical directors of our FQHC on a day-to-day -day basis, daily huddles, so all of these that were done in K6 now are done throughout the FQHCs. Okay. Thank you.
Okay, so, so, so how that translates to the financial side as, uh, from the volume statistics, we're looking at, uh, again, uh, revenues, uh, which kind of goes back to one of the other points, revenues, although our, our volumes were slightly, slightly higher, our net patient service revenue was below target, below budget, supplementals were strong. Uh, as far as labor expenses, they're managing and they're staying within their budget. Uh, their FBEs, as you can see, are below target of 507 for the month and year-to-date below 505 at 472. So, again, high volume. They're managing their FBEs for clinic visit and they're doing well as far as their productivity and performance. And what's our revenue per visit? Uh, I don't have the answer to that here. We'd have to get that to you. I'll get that to you as far as revenue. I mean, I think well, it varies. Revenue per visit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we could, we could get it. Visits. It's, we don't have to get it. Yeah. It's right up there. Yeah, just divide. Well, that's, that's yes. the, the expense yeah. per visit is what you're seeing there. So, I mean, you, I, I heard you ask for revenue per visit. Right. But I, but I, I don't think you can do the, the math right yeah. off of this. Yeah. I don't think you can. No, I think because you're looking at different periods. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, so I'm mean, having for prior visits, the expenses are for... Yeah, you have to look at it, yeah. Don't we care about net income per visit? We could provide that, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know me, as long as the bottom line. Right, so. as I roll up, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we can get it. Okay. Uh, acute care, these are, this This looks kind of small here on the screen, but these are the key volume indicators, specifically focusing on discharges, average daily census, and the length of stay uh, within the organization. Pretty much everything was, uh, length of stay was pretty well on budget for the month. Uh, daily census was higher uh, across the facility, and uh, discharges were essentially pretty much right on budget at 1% below. Uh, emergency visits is where we continue to see uh, an opportunity there, but yet for the month, uh, we, we did have a, a strong performance where they were pretty much on budget there, and we saw um, uh, increase in, in all those areas, all with the exception of John George, which again, that's on a different slide and I'll share that with you guys later. Uh, from a financial perspective, um, they were essentially pretty much on budget for net patient service revenue and supplementals continue to be strong. Uh, labor uh, was over budget. Uh, this was, uh, uh, and non-labor was uh, also slightly above budget there. The uh, well, one of the things that we noticed, I mean, again, it's been busy. We've had several surges. We've been we've been surging in the facility uh, over the month of March and and uh, April. I mean, we've continued to see higher activity, and so as a result of that, specifically here at Highland, uh, we're seeing that uh, you know we're having additional staff. Where you know the ED is oversaturated, we've got all of our beds full. So we've been having throughput and challenges with that, and so again, it's requiring additional staffing. So that's what we're managing. Um, but for the most part, I mean, again, they're uh, staying on target year to date. They're performing almost at budget there with their uh, FDEs, and uh, their performance is, is uh, again, largely driven from the salaries of, you know, the result of the, the calculation of the salaries themselves, especially that's the biggest bucket. That's where you have the largest number of staff, and that's what's driving some of that. Behavioral health, uh, we, we continue to see some improvements in behavioral health, uh, and uh, I, I will say that as we look at uh, the month of, of April, uh, behavioral health has, has almost gotten back to where they were pre-survey uh, and pre-ligature challenges. Um, but for this month, as you can see, we're at 66 average daily census when we're normally at 68.4 or above. It's always full. Um, but now we're starting to see us get back to that point. Uh, 
Therefore, as you can, you know, the discharges and patient days are below target, again, largely driven by the ability to bring in admit patients based on uh, the acuity, the one-to-ones, the coverage, and the ligature risks. For, from a financial perspective, uh, the revenues are directly impacted by our volumes, and so the, the fact that we have lower volumes, we didn't meet target on our budgets, uh, budgeted uh, net patient service revenue, but again, supplementals were strong. Our expenses, even though we've been having to manage uh, with additional staffing, recognizing some of the regulatory requirements and the uh, increased acuity and the one-to-one -one coverage, they've done a phenomenal job in really ensuring that they stay within target, within budget, and uh, we're seeing that reflected here in the financials. Post-acute, uh, their patient days were, were strong. Uh, they were high. Uh, their average daily census was on target, on budget. Their average length of stay uh, we saw an increase in that area there. And so again, this is in our skilled nursing facilities, also inclusive of our acute inpatient rehab. From a financials perspective, uh, this is um, net patient service revenue is, is, is well below budget. Uh, this is largely driven by uh, the inpatient acute rehab. Uh, the skilled nursing facility payer makes us very different and the reimbursement for the skilled nursing facility is very different than the acute rehab. When the acute rehab volumes are, are challenged and are dipped, it does have a direct correlation and it reflects directly on the net patient service revenue for that post-acute uh, business unit. We've had some challenges with physician coverage at uh, that area, which we're working to address. We've got some physicians that are being credentialed as we speak. That process takes some time, but once we get that provider on board, we'll be able to continue to expand our ability to admit patients into the acute rehab facility providing that seven-day admission coverage that right now we're challenged in a couple of days of the week because we still got to have some of the providers that uh, can provide that support. Uh, but again, they're, they're managing their FBE as well. Uh, labor expenses are within uh, our at budget. Their non-labor uh, is largely driven by, uh, again, some invoices that were processed. And it's just, this is just a timing uh, issue. I mean, year-to-date, they're pretty much on, you know, on target there. They're, you know, $300, $300 uh, and three over. But they'll, they'll be working to get back on target with that. And then system support, this is the, the, the aggregate of all the different support service areas. There, uh, we have uh, labor is the largest driver there. This is every other department outside of our clinical departments. But we're managing uh, this year, one of the biggest drivers for the expense, uh, this, as you can see on the first bullet there, has to do with the defined contribution portion of the retirement plan, which this month we have to uh, book approximately one and a half million dollars for that that was reflected and impacting this particular month. Uh, we also have uh, some invoices that uh, that were unaccrued in our biomedical services division, and so that, again, accrual, now we're having to capture those here in this month, so that's what's driving uh, some of the, in the non-labor expense in contract services. And then we're also continuing to improve our run rate, one of the things that we did, we had a lot of mobile devices that were uh, assigned to different staff that, that we've done a reevaluation of that and we've been able to, to see a significant reduction in that utilization, which is directly impacting uh, the monthly cost for that and that's great work that IT is doing to support that effort. And that's, that's all I have, unless you have any questions. I had a quick question. How do you track overtime and other additional salary reimbursements to, to, to the employees? 
how do we track salary? So, I mean, you mentioned in one of the answers that you, you had to bring in extra staff. I, I assume that sometimes involves realizing some overtime mm -hmm. payment. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering how how the different uh, SBUs track the, or is it done universally, track uh, overtime and other additional costs that are related to employees? Well, no, so, so labor, labor expenses are tracked at the unit level, at the department level. Okay. So every single department manager is accountable and responsible for their staffing. They staff according to the uh, volumes and according to the acuity and volume of patients that they have. So when we're, you know, they, they have, and the budget, the way the budget is built is, you know, they have a core staffing based on a, a defined uh, level of, of, you know, defined volume that they have, right? So they're budgeted to, you know, have a census of 20. Right. Well, when that census goes to 22, they flex up and they bring in additional staff and there's a process by which they do that. A lot of it is driven by the collective bargaining agreement. So they, you know, they will then try to have short hour staff take on additional hours. If they're not available, then they will go ahead and resort to having some overtime. If they can't get overtime, then they go ahead and bring in registry. So then there's, there's an escalation process that we go through for that. And so they're managing that on a regular basis. We get, and every single manager receives a payroll report every two weeks that gives them, you know, that they understand exactly, you know, how they performed throughout that pay period, what was their regular labor, what was their um, overtime, and what was their registry. Got it. And equally, they have access through their, uh, you know, their scheduling system uh, at, at, at most of our facilities. I mean, they have, you know, they know exactly into our timekeeping system, our chronos. They know exactly what people are working, how they're managing that. And so, again, conversely, when you have a census of, you know, 18, then they also flex down and adjust, and then they, you know, through going through the proper process, they send people home, they go through that, that mechanism. So, I mean, this is something that happens every single day. Managers are responsible and accountable for managing their units, and they bring in the necessary resources to support the activity that's happening in that particular area. And so they see that they have access to that daily, and they see aggregate reports on a bi-weekly basis for the pay period and payroll. So if something is uh, happening that really doesn't follow the protocol you just described, and that will be pretty tr transparent uh, through the reporting. Uh, you know, using a more costly approach before you use a uh, more uh, cost-efficient approach is something that might show up as an issue for a manager. Uh, a fair assumption? Well, I, I think it's, well, if I understand it correctly, I mean, it's it, what, what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, that they will resort to leveraging someone on regular time before they resort to going to, to have a higher premium pay over time or registry or something like that. Is that correct? And, yes, and I, I guess I'm getting at the situation where the manager's not working out of that protocol and it's, you know, it's an issue in terms of cost. Correct. I'm just trying to get at how is that caught, how is it dealt with? Well, it's, it's, it's reflected. I mean, when you see that in the payroll reports, we have these, what we call our payroll cube reports that we get every two weeks. And so in those reports, it not only tells you, you know, by, by hours, as far as, you know, hours, total FDEs, and dollars. Right. And so, you know, the managers are accountable for their budgets. They need to, they know how much they have. I think you answered my question. I, I, so basically, it's transparent to all the people that need to see it. Everyone, yeah. yeah. Every single manager and director, and, and we review those reports, and we review them as part of our 
uh, you know, monthly performance and our budget variance and SBU reviews. Yeah. So you have a roll up and a drill down. And yeah. You can see at every uh, uh, cost center level yeah. what's happening. So you can see a trend that is trouble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. Okay. He's got to fill up the next one. <clears throat> Thank you again for another good report. Thank you. So just as he's bringing up the other report, the follow-up items that I want to make sure we captured was we wanted to ensure that we provided you with the, the revenue per clinic visit. And secondly, we wanted to follow up on you know, the trend that we're seeing in Alameda and kind of make sure that we drill down a little bit more on what's happening there and what we're seeing. Right. That. Right. Based on the con uh, contribution summary, I think page 18 is kind of... We'll do so. We'll follow up. We'll make sure we close that loop. Uh, won't take too much time on this. This was part of your report. Uh, again, this is just an update on what I've shared with you on previous months. Um, when you're looking at revenue capture, uh, you know, the columns, just to define the columns, we've got what the activity is, what actions we're taking, what we're estimating to receive, and then what's remaining as it relates to uh, achieving that target. Mm -hmm. Those that you see with a zero means we've already achieved that target. The others is just how we're tracking on some of those. Some of these have not taken effect yet. We're working through them, but we're seeing some improvements, obviously, in the supplemental reimbursement as well as in the uh, um, revenue cycle improvement, professional revenue cycle, uh, where it's happening within the charge capture and billing. Uh, here we've got a few others that, that have already materialized. These were, again, relatively small, but they were that, that was work that was happening specifically with our behavioral health outpatient programs, and uh, Dr. Tribble has been able to manage that, and we've addressed those issues. And then this, these are ongoing. We're managing these. We're looking at them. One of them, as I, ex I had explained, this park construction has to do with the, with the project itself, and we're working through that process to make that happen. This one here is not one that's going to, you know, <coughs> come down slowly. This is it's going to go from 500 to zero. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of them processing a check, and we make sure that we get that done. Uh, from an expenses perspective, this is just a summary. You have some additional detail as it relates to the labor optimization within your packets. But you can see that we're making some significant improvement in those areas. And in that particular uh, line item, we're close to 50% uh, uh, where we had anticipated. And this is actually uh, through the month of March. So we feel very confident that we're going to continue to do this. And although I don't reflect them here, I just want to just I want to make the comment that this is not all inclusive. I mean, you know, at, at one point in time, we had identified some of the things that we're doing to continue to provide you some greater detail on some of the activities and efforts that we're taking to ensure that we manage our expenses and get back to our budgets. This work is ongoing. I mean, every single day things are identified, things are you know following up, and so. In, in, in an effort to not confuse or try to distort all the data. We're following up with what we had communicated at one point, but just rest assured that there's a lot of work going on every single day when things are identified that we're managing those and we're working through the process to ensure that we're capturing either those those revenues or managing and controlling those expenses or reducing those expenses. When do you plan to do a quick <clears throat> revisitation of the Vizient contract, a retrospective? Because, you know, we bought a package that was really expensive that was going to provide us some efficiencies, and you're using them. And I think it would be great, I don't know, if a year after we signed the contract, it'd be a great to have a quick memo just to see, you know, if we're supposed to be paid for you, and we're supposed to get seven million, seven, six. Because you know, I know you are using some of those tools, which uh, I was certainly suspect of, given the amount you have on your plate. Absolutely. Sometimes you run so hard you can't use tools. So. Sure, sure. No, absolutely. And, and so to answer that, I want just a couple of things. I mean, so, you know, the way the contract was structured, if you recall, I mean, there was a certain dollar value commitment that was completely offset by the 
the, the revenue share that right. we get as a result of the performance of the GPO. Mm -hmm. um, as you can see in the line item second from the bottom there, it, you know, we had targeted a million dollar uh, uh, improvement here in a, in a very short period of time and so as you can see we're almost there and some activities that are happening there's a tremendous amount of work that's going on in the pharmacy space in the purchase services space in the supply space um, but we're going to continue to see what materialize to answer your question I would say that I'm, I'm looking at probably towards the latter part of the year in the fall uh, we, we signed this contract in, in December uh, I'm hoping that maybe towards the end of the year we'll be able to provide you with a more detailed report not necessarily a memo but a report because I think that we can there's a lot of great things that we're going to be able to share as far as the value that this 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 agreement has brought one of the, the a lot of the work that's happening was related to the um, suite of analytical tools that were part of the program well that that's taken a lot of time I mean that's a very labor-intensive process of really mapping all the information all the data that's going from our systems being submitted to the, the, the warehouse at Truven the comparisons are occurring I mean there's a lot of that work that's happening there's several key uh, team champions that are leading all those different analytical tools and so we're working through that we're going to start seeing some of those go live here in the next couple of months so by the end of the year we'll be able to provide a nice retrospective review to show exactly what we've got in place how things are, are, are moving forward and what actions we're taking as a result of the data that we're seeing and the performance of the fiscal or calendar the end of this calendar year okay so i'll put it on for january 2019. so we will do that and, and we'll make sure that we have that report and we'll share how we're that's great and on top of that at the same time you know when we you know we'll also talk about one of the things that we discussed during that uh that uh, contract review was uh, the local sourcing component of it. And so we'll also be able to report out on that on how we're managing and collaborating and working with them to ensure that we're addressing and, and really leveraging our community uh, partners and how we can manage that better. So, so we'll, we'll report on both of those and we'll mark it for January of 2019. Perfect. I, I just want to say this is a really helpful report for me. Uh, when I look at the packet, a clear sense of the progress staff's making on these slides. Yeah, I hope this isn't just a one-time thing that we continue. Is it, and, and, and I think it's also appropriate it's at the high level that you're doing that. I understand all the noise that you're dealing with every day. <laughs> but uh, having it at this level, it really gives a sense of the progress being made in the different areas. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, any other questions? But yeah, I just wanted to say I really appreciate it also. It's great to see progress on things that we talked about a few months ago, such as the templates, and, and really seeing how it's impacting service lines. So thank you for that. Perfect. Any other questions? If not, let's uh, move to the 2019 budget. Okay. Are you leading the charge on that? I am leading the charge with them. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a three three person uh, uh, action here. Uh, so so I'll, I'll start, but I'll, I'll walk you through. First off, uh, this is my first talk. So, so good good evening, trustees. Uh, good to see you all. Um, you may or may not know that this week uh, is, as it often happens, is dual uh, uh, National Nurses uh, Week, uh, as well as uh, National Hospital Week. And so uh, just a brief shout out to all of our nurses, our nursing leaders, and our, uh, our hospital uh, uh, um, leaders and obviously the staff uh, who do a, a tremendous job every day serving our community and serving this organization. So on behalf of you and us, uh, uh, happy uh, Nurses Week and Hospital Week to our folks. Absolutely. I'd like to make a quick housekeeping announcement before um, introducing you and I'm sure our very efficient clerk um, got in the minutes that uh, Trustee Charlin uh, is, has been present at this meeting, arriving just late, but minimally late, and uh, Trustee Jensen is here as well. So Thank you. I apologize. Great. No, 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 no problem. Very much. 
Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, we, the team, uh, so you'll probably we did a sort of a, a general brush uh, with a, a lot of. Uh, um, Let's just say midpoints. We had some things that we needed to clean up, and we have done uh, a great, I, I believe, hopefully you agree, a great job of cleaning all that up to present to you, uh, you the finance committee, the first, uh, and our guests, uh, 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 trustee guests, uh, the first uh, thorough brush of the uh, budget. We tried to approach this uh, uh, presentation with what I call the classic presentation rule, which is tell people what you want to tell them, tell them, and then recap it by saying what you just told them. So so we tried to do that, and in, the, in, in sort of a fidelity to that, uh, which is really driven by a lot of the questions we got in the first run of this, uh, we recognize that a lot of pieces of this have an iterative element to them. So I'm going to ask your indulgence that uh, if you have questions, you sort of note them, uh, and then uh, see if I if we address them over the course of the presentation, and certainly if we haven't, then if you'll post them then. But I think it may um, uh, cut down on, you know, that's on page 22 or that's on page 16 when we're on page 3 or 4 and understanding that some of the material then might prompt some of the questions. You're taking away our fun, but I agree. Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> it's still fun for you, but and, and we'll try to make this uh, uh, as, as painless as possible. So, uh, so we did an outline here and the outline kind of lays it out so you can expect what to see here. So, so we'll start by uh, talking uh, very quickly, uh, actually the first couple of pieces, uh, recap of the goals and principles, not a lot of change there, uh, the process in terms of where we are right now, uh, really kind of ca casting the, the wider lens of the long-term plan and kind of putting the context for the budget, which will come later, but but needing you to see that within the context of our stra strategy and our uh, long-range financial plan that supports that. Uh, a volume forecast for this next fiscal year, which is obviously driven by a lot of different um, uh, current experience as well as internal and external drivers and assumptions that influence how we, how we are projecting what the world will look like across our different uh, um, uh, enterprises, as it were. And then we get into the meat of the order where I'll turn it over to uh, Nancy first to walk through the revenues and the uh, what the budget looks like. We'll look, you'll see the whole piece, but then she'll zero in on uh, the revenue part and talk about the drivers and assumptions in a little bit more detail. Uh, similarly, then she'll turn it over to Louise, who will go through the same exercise on the expense side of the house. Uh, and then he'll turn it back over to me and I'll sort of uh, recap what we just shared with you on the operating budget piece, sort of tie that all together and then proceed from there to tell you about the capital plan and what pieces of that are going to happen within the next fiscal year and then how that all ties up to that long range plan that you'll see at the very beginning here. And at that point, take any questions you may have. Okay? Right, so let's start at the first part, our, our goals and assumptions, or goals and principles. And all I want to point out here, as I said, this is not uh, largely different, or actually probably not uh, different at all in terms of uh, the content, maybe some of the formatting is different, from what we shared at the, uh, uh, the retreat. And what I want to point out is some of the principles we espouse in this budget and in prior budgets were uh, making sure that we have a balance in terms of making sure that the budget is principled on delivering high quality care and services, uh, and that advance our, our, our strategic plan, our journey towards population health and how we're going to uh, gradually re recast the way in which we provide services and how we reimburse for those services. We want it to be sustainable, meaning that it's helping to deal with current uh, opportunities and challenges, but also pushing towards a uh, more sustainable uh, or, or an improved sustainable uh, um, financial uh, grounding for the organization. And the other one I'll point out is the last one there in bold, which is uh, uh, that we are also, with our budgets, trying to espouse continuous improvement. So when we see like you mentioned, the contribution uh, margins and how those um, uh, vary based off of what we projected, and we're looking at how much of that is driven by 
uh, substance that went into budgeting, some similar to things like uh, supplemental revenue, uh, but also in terms of what were the opportunities and what we experienced and how we budgeted and how we'll improve that. And the one that's here as an example is the salary expenses, which we've talked about before, that we're taking an approach of using a weighted average uh, uh, wage rate for the existing workforce and uh, uh, budgeting at the top of a range for vacant positions. Okay. The next slide we'll go to is just a process again, same slide you saw before. We've uh, widened the uh, box into the frame that we're in now because now we're in the back and forth that we present to you. We hear your questions and your feedback and your uh, recommendations. We go back and refine that. We bring it back to you um, uh, at the end of this month. And then after that, uh, barring we, we don't have any overwhelming issues, then we expect to be going through the approval process next month. Okay. Uh, this is a long-range plan. So again, wide-angle lens. This is not the budget itself, but uh, if my, uh, sorry, Joe, you can't see this, but I'm zeroing in on what you'll see in detail here is the third uh, column there, which is, a, as we go forward, it's going to be the proposed 2019 uh, budget. And so this long-range plan, plan is just designed to show you that uh, when we did our strategic plan and came right behind it with a long-range plan, we said we have some things operational we need to get done in any one year, but we need to be thinking about those big buckets of things that we need to make sure that we are generating enough revenue to support to advance the organization, not just for the sake of generating revenue. So things like the EHR, things like the San Leandro uh, rehab relocation, and other sorts of routine capital needs, and obviously our debt obligations, making sure that we have enough money uh, uh, to, to uh, meet those obligations as well as advance the organization. So, so this slide is designed to uh, show you that we've uh, produced a budget that has fidelity to that, uh, and it's to show you the big buckets of obligations that uh, we're we're going to be meeting. So row 15 shows you pension obligation, uh, bond retirement, uh, the others, uh, which we're going to detail later. The big one is row 17, which is capital expenditures, which is really substantial this year, largely around a lot of capital for the EHR uh, this year, which will then uh, start to reduce gradually as we go live with that. Uh, also, the other two projects, which are heavily um, uh, uh, booked into this year and next year, which is San Leandro and Alameda, which you'll see uh, uh, spelled out in more detail later, okay? Next slide just shows you what that looks like graphically. So this is a net negative balance forecast, and it shows you the dotted line at the top is our limit, our entry year limit, which is about $50 million above whatever the actual uh, uh, limit is expected to be at the end of the year. And that's the blue line uh, uh, that you see reflected here. And then the green line is actually where we forecast being on a year-to-year -year basis. You, you usually see it on a sort of month-to-month -month basis. Within a year, this just shows you year-to-year. -year. And what this shows you, as you will recall, is that uh, by FY20, 2020, when we go uh, live on EPIC in um, the earlier part of that fiscal year, uh, latter part of the calendar year 19, we, we expect that uh, by the end of that year, that, fisc or that uh, fiscal year, that we're going to get asymptotically close, I like to say, to the line. Uh, uh, but then uh, right off of that, we, we start to um, uh, peel back away and, and we come back down uh, to a level that we're more comfortable with that we're reflecting uh, this year and uh, uh, the prior year. Okay. So now let's go into the first part of this iterative process, but just kind of to start with the uh, volume assumptions that then lead into the more detailed revenue forecasts and expense forecasts that align with that for fiscal year 19. 
So some of the numbers you see kind of summarized on the left-hand side in the, in the beige box are reflected on what you'll see as our volume forecast budget uh, a couple of slides later. But uh, I wanted to cast them here so you can see them as we talk about them, bucketed by our different business units and some of the key uh, drivers and assumptions that are associated with that. So in the first one, I'll point out, obviously, we're, we're uh, projecting a slight decrease in patient days overall. Um, um, uh, this is in acute patient days. Uh, that there, there will be acute, there's post-acute, there's behavioral events. Uh, well, I said post-acute, which includes rehab. So, so with this acute, we're expecting a slight decrease, uh, 3%, or uh, a little over 3%. EB, slight decrease as contingent or driven by some of the uh, uh, trends that we've seen over time, reflecting this year's uh, uh, um, experience and then going into next year. Uh, part of the decrease for uh, acute, I didn't note, uh, note, but is noted on your slide there, is uh, driven by a year closure of the San Leandro third floor uh, to uh, support the ongoing uh, rehab uh, construction activities that are happening there. Uh, surgeries, a uh, slight increase based off of some planned investments we've made uh, this year in some of our uh, surgical service lines to address some uh, uh, community need that we have uh, in our in our uh, patient uh, uh, population. So we're expecting that. And then uh, deliveries, we obviously had a huge spike over the first uh, year plus of opening the new acute tower. Uh, and that has stabilized, and largely because uh, deliveries in Alameda County have also stabilized, so we are projecting a flat, uh, in, uh, a flat experience for deliveries for the year. Uh, Similar thing, I won't go into a lot of detail on all of these. You have it here uh, uh, for your perusal, which I'm sure you've already uh, uh, examined deeply, but, but just say post-acute uh, is really the, the increase is driven by work that we're doing in acute rehab and efforts to address census and uh, capacity opportunities uh, um, uh, that align with the demand that we have in that space. Uh, behavioral health, slight increase consistent with what uh, Luis just presented as we are anticipating uh, being largely done with all of our literature uh, improvement activities. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Uh, with our ligature uh, um, uh, risk uh, uh, mitigations and then being ready to, to uh, um, experience what we think is going to be sustained um, uh, demand in that space. Uh, we do want to point out that we expect a slight decrease in PES volume, which is consistent with work that we are doing, but also work we're doing in partnership with the county and our other partners to um, uh, improve behavioral health, physical medicine integration and try to do more strength, uh, more more mild to moderate behavioral health uh, interventions up stream and, and, and prevent uh, PES emissions as much as possible. Uh, on the ambulatory side, um, uh, kind of a, a mixed bag. We expect an uh, increase in primary care, largely driven by our uh, a gradual move towards capitation. Yeah, as you know, we have one of our four sites up on capitation, and we're planning to bring the other three uh, up on capitation over the course of the year. In primary care capitation, obviously, um, um, there is a push to manage utilization. Uh, but as we have been looking with our, uh, our managed care partners, the, the primary care utilization of our patient population actually is below what the market is. And so there is a uh, uh, expectation that, that we will increase uh, primary care business as a means of actually meeting the needs of the patients that will uh, uh, theoretically then reduce downstream needs in terms of perhaps uh, avoidable ED admissions, readmissions to the hospital, as well as maybe specialty care services that we can do in a consolidated fashion there. So we're predicting a 7% uh, increase in uh, primary care and then uh, uh, con uh, conversely, on the specialty side, we're predicting just a slight uh, decrease, and it's really driven by uh, three areas where we're kind of, uh, uh, well, we're doing specialty care redesign across the enterprise, but there are three areas where there's uh, uh, 
fairly uh, more significant uh, expectation in terms of trends. So uh, in dermatology, we're expecting to see fewer uh, visits, uh, largely driven by a change to the delivery model, uh, uh, where right now we see some ability to have greater efficiency so patients don't have to have as many visits. Um, uh, so it's not a reduction in services, it's a change in model that will, uh, we anticipate will reduce the number of visits that patients are uh, uh, experiencing. And uh, GYN, uh, we're actually expecting an increase, and in, in optometry, uh, we're expecting a slight decrease, and it's driven by a um, sort of uh, regulatory limitations on the teaching model that we have in terms of services being provided on the weekends. We're offsetting those with some uh, uh, extended hours during the week, but it won't uh, fully offset uh, the decrease from uh, the ability of our training model to provide services, and it's not ours, it's in partnership with a local program uh, to be able to provide services on the weekends. But um, these, these volumes, they do, uh, these increases or decreases do include uh, the e-consults and the telemedicine as well as in-person, right? Uh, these don't. These are more the traditional visits uh, uh, because there is a direct revenue tied to those. Some of our e-visits are not reimbursable yet. They are obviously a, a, an important part of our model and it is a part of the waiver where we're trying to produce more uh, um, uh, uh, non-traditional visit modalities, which we have a lot of success with. We intend to continue those, but as a uh, budgetary impact on a driver, there, there is less of an impact or no impact. So, so this is purely on the traditional visits. Is that, I want to make sure I'm, I'm speaking correctly when I talk about that. Okay, I see that, a head nod here. I just okay. presumed that those virtual visits also were, um, you know, generated uh, income, but in the sense that they do, right. downstream. Yeah. They, you don't have to have 30-day readmissions and you don't have to have acute. Uh, but it's it's not really a billable thing in, in, in as much. Not many of them are directly uh, billable, but uh, some of them do actually do provide direct revenue, but supplemental as it relates to the waiver uh, and some of the work we're doing driven by the waiver themselves. Okay. So with that, then, uh, the roll-up of those three slides that you just looked at really is our volume forecast for the year. And so, so you'll see, uh, by and large, that there are no major swings in terms of uh, volume. Some a little bit more than others uh, as a roll-up. So as you see, sickness is going up by 2.6%, as I mentioned, in terms of some uh, uh, investments there. Uh, uh, clinic visits mostly driven by the 7% increase in primary, but offset by the 1.6% in uh, sub, uh, uh, specialty. That brings us to... to uh, 3.9 and the rest are, are as they are reflected here. So uh, with that then we're going to next turn to how this then reflects revenues and revenue projections and then uh, similarly for, for expenses. But before I turn it over to Nancy, I'll stop and entertain any questions you may have at this point. I know I asked you to wait, but and just I in case you have any questions. That's I wasn't going to say anything, but one trustee broke that. There were points of clarification versus like, you know, what are you doing? I guess that's okay. I don't want to, I don't want to, to, to fall back that way. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Sure. Page five. Page five. Line fifteen. Uh huh. So retirement. Um, I understand the discount rate is going up. Um, oh, this is not. This is the debt retirement, meaning paying off the debt. So not, this is not about the debt. Oh, yes, thank you. Yeah, sorry, that was a, a, a misnomer. But we're we're retiring the debt by paying it off, and that's this. Yeah, that would be cycle by which we're paying it off. Yeah, yeah. No, sure. Thanks for asking. Okay, so I'll turn it over to Nancy. She can walk through the uh, the revenue forecast. I'll wait a second. Okay. Can, you can I ask a question? Yes, you can. Of course. 
Do you have a question? Yes, 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 yes. a question. No, it's after Nancy starts. Okay. Oh, after Nancy. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, right. I apologize. I have to leave right after I ask the question. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you, should, well. It's on the first slide. Oh, cool. All right, then let's go. Nancy, okay. I'll drive. You okay. tell me. So um, you can see that we are projecting a net operating revenue increase of 2.5%. That's made up of net patient services revenue going up 6%, but the supplemental revenue is going down by 2.8%. Did you want to ask a question? Yeah, it was actually on the slide. The next one? The next one, the one with um, the clinic visit. Oh. Is that your last slide? Yeah, it was probably the volume forecast. Yeah, that was my question. Was it here? Right after that. No, this one. Page 10. Yes. Clinic visits. So, my question is... Is it the last line, the other clinic? Right. Yeah, so I'm just wondering why the budget is reduced, given that we have our opening the clinic in Almeida. I hope that... So these other clinic visits are everything except the clinic visits outside of the uh, FQHC, so for wellness clinic sites. Uh, the Alameda okay. Clinic actually is a projection, it projected an increase, obviously, since we just opened the clinic. Uh, the outpatient site, though, I think we're expecting a reduction uh, tied to, is it our uh, ILP program uh, in terms of the visits there? Yeah, the decrease in visits in the, in the PES. Yeah. So the, the line I'm looking at is the increase in the clinic, the line. The one about Okay, that's the traditional clinic. That's yeah, that's the traditional one. That's the one I was talking about here. Okay, I'm not confused. Thank you. Okay, that's okay. All right. All right, Nancy. Okay, you can go to the next slide. Yeah. So, so based on the, the budgeted volumes, then we um, translate that into gross revenues, and then from there we calculate a net revenue calculation um, that then takes uses historical payment percentages and then applies adjustments for things that we know are going to change. So the assumptions that are in there are that we're going to have an assumed um, a 2.4% price increase. Um, we're going to have additional revenues associated with that. We're going to have additional revenues associated with the pro fees um, from the ED that were previously billed by them. Um, improved charge capture for a million. And this is continued revenue cycle improvement activities, including the expansion of our authorization center and things like that. Um, we're assuming now that we're going to have all of the um, cleanup of revenues done through the end of this year, so we won't be um, seeing a lot of those activities occurring in um, 2019. We have improved contract rates from the Alameda Alliance and Anthem, and then an additional $1.5 million from the health Beth funding. So the supplemental revenues, though, are, are going down. There's a, um, available prime dollars under the waiver have, have decreased. Um, in addition, all of our goals um, and um, thresholds that we have to meet have gotten significantly harder. So what we've done for um, fiscal year 2019 is we're assuming that we're going to achieve 90% of that funding. Measure A includes the 2.5% increase based on the um, historical growth and what the, the governor's proposed budget has. Um, and then the parcel tax has gone down because there's cost for elections for Alameda. Um, we're seeing a lot, we're assuming that we're going to have less on the hospital fee because right now we're getting so much money through the EPP and QIP that we don't think we're going to be able to get some of the managed care funds. So we're, we're being a little bit more conservative in that. Um, then the things that we have that are kind of 
potentially at risk, but we're, we're pretty confident we're going to get them. But um, the QIP and EPP are budgeted at the 2018 levels, but CMS has only approved that program so far for 2018. So there may be some changes. They may move monies from one to the other or, or something like that, but we're pretty confident that it will continue. Um, we also have $10 million in there from a new Medi-Cal GME um, program that is um, still pending. It's, it's in negotiations between DHCS and CMS. But DHCS seems to be pretty confident that it's going to go forward, so we're going ahead and, and, and putting it in our budget. Um, and then we also have, um, we have a reduction in um, the Atlantic <coughs> philanthropies that's budgeted, but we also have $5 million coming in from the Kaiser grant. Two questions. You say supplemental revenues are reducing, but yet they're up $6 million for all of next year. It's just a category of supplemental that's, that's changing, correct? And I, I think it's because of the reclass right. okay. that's going from the QIP and EPP moving down. But also so there were, those, there were, there were dollars uh, oh, on, on the net, net patient service right. revenues. Got it, got it, got it. Right. And then this will be fixed at this point, so... Yes, it'll, it'll be comparable year to year. It's just okay. Because if not, you're going to hear questions yeah. every meeting. So it's in your self-interest to get that corrected. And how much of the Atlantic Philanthropies runs, I think it was $10 million, has been spent? Um, do you have a, an idea of that? And why are we accounting for it on our ledger when it's on Ms. Barnes' ledger? Because the expenses, it transfers over to us when we incur the expenses. Right. And then you build in for the revenue? Yes. Correct. Okay. Right. So how much I is that? I don't know the answer to that, but I, I'm fairly certain that it's at least $5 million already. Left? No. Or that we spent. Oh, you have to. If you look downstairs, yes. it's two beds and a dummy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all it is. Okay. <laughs> Okay, thank you. So the footnotes are just are just trying to show you um, where the um, the actual adjustments are, are made when they how they line up. So you can see that one, two, and three, which is the, the price increase, the charge capture effort and the OCARE are in um, the gross patient revenue area um, where we have improved payments. It's going to reduce our deductions from revenue and, and increase the health back. So it's just kind of helping you see where those, those adjustments are made. Okay. And then we have the same thing for the supplementals. So um, the, the footnote comments are all the things we talked about and it just shows what rows they go to under the supplemental. Um, so for example, you know, the, the changes in the waiver with the funding for prime and um, becoming more difficult, um, that's where we have a big reduction from um, what we have in 2018 that we're showing to the proposed um, and that goes with note A. So it's just a continuation of um, the note showing up in the lines that they go to. Why are there unbudgeted incentives in the forecast for 2018? It's a small amount, but just curious. So it was a cleanup of the uh, R program that this oh, stopped the last fiscal year, yeah. so we had a little adjustment the last minute. The ARRA Congress, the okay. American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, I think it was. I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's not an employee incentive for, or trustee incentive for making management make their numbers or anything? Not at all. It's not very compelling. It helps, I guess. Okay. And just to note that other operating revenue, um, that includes the outpatient pharmacy, cafeteria, I think parking. Um, and then we had a, an adjustment for the HP management fee is being reclassified, so that's where we have a reduction coming through for there. Okay. Yeah. So here you can see that we're assuming a pretty consistent payer mix, um, and I think some of the changes may just be due to um, like the closure and of the, the unit in uh, San Diego and stuff, things move around. But basically, we're, we're assuming a consistent payer mix. Um, and then here you can see the, the reimbursement percentages um, that we use in calculating the net revenue. Um, and you can it, that's where we talked about what the, the low uh, collection percentage is, because you can see, you know, Medi-Cal is paying basically between 18.7 and 21.9%. So. I mean, since they're our biggest population. Yeah, that's going to drive it. Is. Yeah. So, with that, I'll move it to Luis. Okay. So now we'll go ahead and break down the, uh, the expenses. When you're looking at total overall expenses, we're seeing an increase of 2%, uh, which, again, is, is consistent with, uh, with cost of living. Next slide. Getting into some of the drivers and assumptions, we're looking at uh, salaries and wages. This is where we had, I mean, being this being a large portion of the total expenses for the organization, we were focusing on ensuring that we captured all the different variables that influence and impact revenues, uh, that impact salaries, so we don't find ourselves in the same position that we did this year, where the salaries weren't really uh, connecting with the dollars, uh, with the, the FPEs. So we included MOU adjustments that have been negotiated and that have been projected for the coming year uh, across all of our different bargaining units, including some of those that are currently under negotiations. Uh, we've also uh, addressed the skill mix. Uh, we've looked at some skill mix adjustments based on some changes that were made uh, as we were looking at the staffing matrices for all the different departments in different areas, which drove the total uh, salaries. Uh, we also modified our approach to calculating salaries. So now what we're doing is we're, we're looking at uh, expenses based on a weighted average for all current incumbents uh, for the wage rate. And then we're looking at uh, the vacancies are being budgeted at the high end of the scale. So that way we have that flexibility as we're going through the recruitment process. So that was a big change and that will make a, a big difference there. And then we also included and, 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 and the driver for a lot of this was some of the work that we've discussed regarding our GPU optimization and our access to the Action OI database for benchmarking. We introduced the benchmarking to help leaders and managers in their areas uh, properly staff uh, their departments consistent with the industry best practices and the benchmarks and the targets that we've established as an organization. Uh, benefits is what we see. Uh, we see a significant increase. This has to do with our, our Sarah, that's, the six, that's what you were referring to. And so that's 6.7 million. And we do have an increase in our workers, our workers comp, and we'll see that in greater detail on the next slide here. Uh, medical supplies, we are um, uh, focusing on a $5 million reduction that this is also consistent and tied to the GPO optimization efforts that we uh, have been discussing that we'll be reporting at in January for uh, uh, busy and performance. And in general administrative, uh, we saw an increase. Uh, one, uh, a million dollars of it is related to foundation, and, and you'll get more information on that here uh, later. And then we also have, have an increase related to some of our 
employee engagement activities that, that we do, some of the employee engagement survey and some of the um, uh, engagement activities that we do for, for, for the staff. So next slide, uh, now we, we will break down and get uh, specifically into uh, the breakdown of the salaries. This will give you a sense of how we, we look at that from salaries, wages, and benefits. Next slide. Uh, we've got uh, salaries broken down. Uh, we see a 2.3% change uh, from the forecast. And over time, uh, we're managing that at 3% across the organization, with registry also at 3%. So as we discussed, and I think as Tony shared at the retreat, which I thought was very helpful, is the fact that Overtime and registry are are a fact of life in, in healthcare, and it's just a matter of managing it appropriately and making sure that we're leveraging our resources effectively and following the collective bargaining agreement to make sure that we minimize the use of both of those. But they are certainly an essential need for the organization to continue to operate. Well, and something we didn't know at the time that sometimes it behooves us to use registry over hiring sometime full time because it's less expensive. But yes, yeah, and. But only to but really to qualify that. I mean, only in certain circumstances when you're looking at short-term arrangements, short-term engagements, you know, or assignments, things of that nature. But yes. yeah, the new thing with this, I I had assumed that um, over time, uh, you know, using in-house services is cheaper than using registry, so it was eye-opening to hear that from Louise. But just as you have that step up to based on cost, but also in terms of accuracy, and I was just thinking that registry in ED probably, uh, I don't know if that affects the quality of care in any way or not, than having your regular staff be part of the ED um, thing. So just an observation, I'd love to talk with that with uh, Dr. Jamal Abdin at the QPSC sometime. Can we do that uh, maybe at QPSC? QPSC? I mean, I, I, we are clearly yeah. going, yeah. going over, as we always do, once or maybe twice a year. But it'd be nice if we didn't spend the night here. So if that can be brought up on another committee or back in this we week, that would be great. Yeah. We've got five heavy contracts to get through tonight and yes. the first kick at this cap yeah. of the budget. Sounds perfect. So, and then the bottom section of, as you can see there, we're looking at towards the center. Uh, our FBEs, our FBEs are remaining relatively flat, 1.3%. Uh, total FBEs, paid FBEs. And then down on the bottom, you see our, we're reflecting the breakdown of what is included in the benefits, which is a large component. And you'll see that the two largest drivers for that, obviously, is the $6 million in retirement and $2 million in workman's comp. And did we talk about the workman's comp and what's driving workman's comp? It's a claims history driving? Yes. So this all is, it's all driven, and I wish Tony was here, but it's all driven by the actuarial. Here it is. I can have him speak to that. Oh, the new actuarial. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is not me. Uh, it's reserves for existing cases, and so we hold a reserve for existing workman comp cases that come forward. Some of them are old and coming to conclusions, so we got a large increase when we acquired San, uh, Almeida Hospital, right. a few from San Leandro Hospital, some of them come to fruition. We have to reserve for the, right. the amount that is going to be required for that. And that was four years ago that we acquired yeah. those hospitals. And we still have cases left from there that work their way through the system and take some time to come to resolution. Um, and so there's a reserve for the existing cases. We think the number's going up this year. It will fluctuate year to year. We may see a precipitous drop, and it's very difficult to forecast that based on the cases to know when they're going to come to fruition. Have we seen an increase on the number of claims? 
It's not the number of claims, it's the individual claims and the severity of an individual claim that may be several million dollars. Uh, we may have an increase in claims, but not see any increase in the total cost or the lost days. No, I get that. Yeah. But what I'm saying, have we seen any fluctuations in the Not no significant fluctuation year okay. to year. Thank you, Tony. So next slide. Um, this is a graphical representation of what we're looking at here. So this is giving you a sense for the total salary, wages, and benefits expense is in the blue uh, bar, and uh, the line is it reflecting our FDs for just that occupied bed. As you can see, we're remaining relatively flat across um, year over year. So 4.5 to 4.5 in proposed 2019. Now we break down the non-labor expenses, and so as we can see here, uh, we've got uh, the largest uh, variances are a result of uh, you know the new contracted uh, services that, that we have with contracted physician services, uh, medical supplies. We're targeting a reduction that I had mentioned earlier. That was one of the things that we we, we looked at, and you see that there in the supplies of pharmaceuticals. Uh, and that's a lot of the work. Again, I continue to emphasize it's really driven by the GPO optimization. General administrative, as we discussed earlier, and the assumptions, we've got the, the reason for the increase there. Next one? Yes. Okay. And now this gives you a non-labor trend expense uh, by the different categories. And, and really, essentially, it's just trying to demonstrate that uh, that we've been able to keep, for the most part, every single one of these categories uh, flat, with the exception of contracted physician services, which is largely connected and driven by our strategy and our direction on how we're staffing our clinics and how we're looking at providing additional services to our system. Okay. Okay. Uh, any questions? Any additional questions for Luis at this point? Okay. So I'm going to sort of wrap up the operating piece, as I mentioned before, and then go into the capital piece. So uh, in the interest of time, uh, we'll walk through all of these details, but the most important uh, detail is this is a roll-up now of both the revenue and the, uh, uh, the expenses to show you that uh, for uh, proposed uh, budget, FY19, uh, we will achieve or we have uh, forecast a budget, prepared a budget that achieves the 4.6 EBITDA target uh, that we set out uh, as an organization. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out for you is a row right below that, which is the collection percentages, and you see it's 19.6 uh, 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 for uh, proposed 19, and you'll see how that compares to a recasted uh, FY18, which was at 20.6 or 20, yeah, 20.6, I think it is, uh, and when we pull those um, uh, those uh, uh, supplemental revenues down from uh, net patients to supplemental, that makes the net patient services or collection ratio there uh, 19.1 19, 19 uh, versus the 20.6, so a slight difference, and you see that we're maintaining that relatively flat uh, with an improvement basically off of uh, the greater growth in revenue, 0.5% um, over, uh, over the expenses. You'll rule the day that uh, you mentioned this last year when after eight hours and much consternation for me, you said, um, Trustee Thompson, these numbers are the worst, worst, worst. We will perform no matter what, no matter what. As I was arguing for a little higher cushion of profitability. So yes. Hopefully those words still echo true in this fiscal year. Uh, I, I, I won't say them again. I will point out, as I did earlier, uh, but for the fact that I really appreciate uh, the work that um, uh, Ann and Shulin and, and Nancy have been doing reviewing our uh, supplementals as well as our, uh, our reserves that uh, uh, we were poised to actually overperform, but we are being 
responsible and that we have identified an area here where we think we're under-reserved and we're going to uh, address that this year. So so I could have come to true, but, you know, I, I, I eat my pie as humbly as uh, but I, I have to say as a general comment for the budget, and I know you've got a little more to go and we still got to get out of here after doing our work, um, that you kept the integrity of your words and your promise from last year in crafting the budget for this year. So I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate um, it. It's a team effort. That's right. You know, we're not arguing strategy and direction. We're really staying on the course that you laid out last year. So, you know. And, and persist. Uh, pers thank you. I know it's not thank you. But certainly pursuant to your instruction, I mean, last year we, we started a lot of things. And we did those in cons uh, to be consistent with our strategic plan. So there was a lot of things going on. And then corrected a few things that we had uh, covered uh, the prior year. Uh, but this year, as we noted, uh, talking about the operational plan, the bulk of our plan is continuation of what we've already started, uh, and it's the direction we want to move in, and it's in recognition of the fact that bandwidth-wise, there's not a lot more that we can take on, uh, not just fiscally, but just capacity-wise for for the organization, so we're, we're being responsible there, and that's why most of the stuff is, is really trying to keep things flat and keep things uh, uh, moving in the right direction. Uh, to that end, you'll see the uh, trends here reflected graphically, and you'll see that you know uh, going from uh, forecast 18 to 19, we we have kept the uh, right goal of keeping uh, revenue above expenses, and you see that growth kind of moving lockstep with uh, uh, again revenue not noticeable on this one, but a 0.5 percentage point increase greater than the expenses, so, uh, and we will try to do better than this. <laughs> I, I'm not making any commitments, but, uh, but except that we're the adjective track. This is just it. So this just brings it all back together again. Uh, Nancy's on the top part, Louis is on the middle, and I talked a little bit about the ratios at the end. So the, this is the F proposed the FY19 operating budget as reflected as an uh, income statement. The next part of the budget, though, is the capital budget, and this is a little bit more detail uh, that goes into that uh, uh, that part of it. So again, very heavy investment uh, uh, in 19. That's a reflection of the bulk of the stuff that many, many of uh, uh, which were started in 18. So the biggest piece going down to the bottom, number 11, is the EHR. So a little bit uh, of capital for this year, uh, which uh, we'll, we'll uh, um, revisit because some of that was higher because we expected to start the process project a little bit earlier, but uh, that's what we have forecasted now for the year. Uh, a, lot, a large part of that coming next year as we really get into the heart of the project and then obviously culminate on the capital side of that uh, uh, coming out of uh, coming out of uh, uh, FY20. Um, the other big piece in proposed uh, 19 is, uh, the two pieces are the uh, San Leandro Rehab and the Alameda Kitchen. Uh, going down in terms of decreasing commitment there, uh, you'll see here $7 million reflected as the reserve that we need to set aside in order to uh, take advantage of the strategic capital reserve. This is part of the debt agreement with the county. It's actually reflected here, and it's all, the other part of that then is reflected in the revenues that will actually uh, draw down and go uh, 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 to funding the EHR, but this is showing the uh, capital outlay uh, that we have to make in order to get that. Uh, the six million is uh, MRI, which we already have the funding for, thanks to the uh, generosity of Kaiser and the work of our foundation, and we're just seeing that come into fruition next year. And then the other pieces, the top uh, three are all routine. You'll see the reduction, because part of our EHR funding was reducing our uh, routine capital expend, uh, expenditures. Uh, and then the other uh, piece is uh, um, uh, the 1.1 and the 2 are related to other uh, um, uh, 
uh, foundation philanthropic efforts that we're pursuing, and they will we budgeted accordingly for that. Uh, but they are uh, uh, they will not be activated unless we actually get the funding for them. So it's in our plan because we expect that that will happen. But uh, 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 if it doesn't come to fruition, well, those are things that will be undertaken. And I can't actually remember the 1.1. Is it? Do, have we already raised that one for the? For the Holland ED imaging uh, piece, the proposal is with the funder. And okay. Okay, we think we're expecting to hear by June. Okay, thank you, Deborah. Okay, uh, and then that just feeds back into the long, the, the beginning. That we now we're going back out wildlands and showing you proposed 19 how it looks as a long range plan and ties into the rest of the the five year forecast. So so we we started here. We went granular, a little bit more detail, and now we're back back out for both capital and uh, operating to show you how it how it fits within the broader construct. If that's a forecast, 80 million dollar supplemental payment timing. What was the budget? I'm sorry, say that part again. Line 12. If you have 80 million dollars in forecasted supplemental payments, what was the budget? Oh, that that was for the issue. That's what it was. That 80 million reflects the. Um, what do we call it? The uh, MCE, the costs, yeah. So remember, we and we've been pushing that out because the 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 state, uh, at, I don't know if the state or the feds, but one of them has been pushing out the date in which we'll get those dollars. Uh, but we do expect to get them by fiscal in, and and our uh, our NNB forecast reflects that as well. So that's what that amount is. And that that was consistent throughout the year. Yes, okay. we expect. It, it was the number. I couldn't remember if there were ten million dollars offers. No, it, it was two years uh, worth. At, at one point, it was uh, the reconciliation of fifteen. 16 and 16, 17, yes. uh, and we got the 15, uh, 16 at the end of last year, yeah. and then the other uh, 80, they were both roughly 80 million each. Uh, this one is for this year. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Uh, so with that, actually, uh, that's our first pass. You get more bites of this apple, but uh, we wanted to take a moment here to, uh, if there, I know we're past time, but if there are any questions we can answer now or things you want us to uh, address as we bring this back to the full board and the end of this month, we're happy to hear that. I mean, we generally agree that, um, you know, as I said earlier, this is consistent with the strategy that um, we adopted last year and that um, more or less this is the path that we've continued for this year and we're comfortable so far. Okay. You're asking us. No, I'm asking fellow trustees. Oh, that's not comfortable with it, uh, forget yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> Because yeah. I am, I, I'm okay. fine. You know, first pass is great. I am too, but I, I would note that um, one thing that makes me nervous is that we're in the potential tail end of a long, healthy economic oh, yes. streak. Yeah. And yes. I look at Measure A assumptions actually increasing. They're at, a, they're at a higher, that's just something I happen to know something about because mm -hmm. I was on the Oversight Committee for so many years. I, mm -hmm. I'm just using it as an example. That's, uh, uh, that revenue source is at its highest peak right now um, since the beginning, to 10-year cycle on that. Um, and uh, we know what it looked like in 2009. Um, it was a pretty ugly dip. So, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if there's a question in this. It's just to say, um, I guess that's a risk. It's a risk. Yeah. Yeah. What happens? Well, here's the question. <laughs> what happens when um, the wheels start coming off the national economy? We don't do a Trump recession, editorial and all that, um, and we start to see a dip in some revenues, yeah. supplementals. 
so for our, you know, Measure A obviously is a, a, a big part of our supplemental that's uh, driven more by local, local uh, taxing, which certainly can be imp impacted by national politics. So, so I think that one, though, I think there's a little bit of a, a layer that we would, we would, I mean, two two and a half percent is is uh, what is that about then two two million two million, two, million yeah two million so I think you know that two million variance here there we can offset with something else uh, um, uh, but to your other, to your point broadly about the other supplemental sources um, really prime in particular is is a really big one and so prime and GPP those are unless the federal government came back and said to us. We're going to renegotiate uh, this. I think we're pretty confident that that can continue as 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 it is. And anything though that will come out of that, let's say um, uh, that happened this year, is really a risk for the following year or subsequent years. That we have time. I think so. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to look to Nancy uh, uh, to see if uh, if you have any. I want to know about 2020 forecast. I'm uh, really going to get through next yes. year with, you know. They know I am too. <laughs> 2020, 2021, I think we're kind of. We're all really concerned about FY 2020. And, that, and, and, and what? Totally agree with you. And to that point, that's why, you know, we they know that we're going to be trying our best to make sure that uh, uh, we, 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 we do better than what we're putting here because we, we think we need some space for these unpredicted, you know, risks that, that are out there. I also think with the back-to-budget exercise, um, we haven't done one in a while, and it's a good skill to learn. I mean, you obviously learn it, but mm -hmm. we've, it's you scale back if you need to, um, if, as, if things... We know we have the ability to yeah. do that without uh, uh, taking the organization. Right. It's been a team effort for all of the parts of the organization, which I'm incredibly, immensely appreciative of. Uh, uh, and some of those things, to your point, we have uh, budgeted the discipline to do those things, both on the revenue side, continuing some RCIP efforts, on the expense side, some of the labor optimization, as well as the non-labor uh, experiences. We're budgeting to do that because we're having that. We want to continue that rigor, but we're also knowing that you know that if if waters get high, then we'll have to tighten a little bit more. And my biggest concern is when we flip the switch on the EHR and the operational issues that's going to cause and the billing issues that's going to cause. Yes. Hopefully, I've got 14 more months as a trustee and flip the switch on the 15th month. So, to worry about that. So noted. Any other questions, Trustee Chief? Well, this is a new guy question. So, are we prohibited from, uh, if we had a good trend, if things were better, uh, say mid-year, is there anything prohibiting the board from uh, allocating some money to a board-restricted reserve for a rainy day? Uh, I'll, I'll try to answer that. I, I don't think so. I think what we do, and I, I, I'd imagine they'd be supportive of it, uh, um, is we work because we we don't have separate accounts. It's uh, as long as we're drawing from the consolidated treasury, and it was only to set up the Japanese bank-based account. Right. But if we if we wanted to say to the county we want to uh, uh, establish a separate reserve, that would be board designated for AHS. I mean, that's a effectively what the seven million is. Right. It's a strategic reserve, but it's it's, it's a joint. AHS Board of Supervisors uh, Reserve, uh, but there would be nothing to preclude us. I'm sure they would actually welcome that type of behavior. If we could, I would love to have, to have us have that problem. I would too. That's a great problem to have. I, I welcome that. I would love a reserve. Let's keep moving on. But if you're through, yes. Okay. I am. Thank you. Uh, okay.
get the staffing we're going to contracts next? Is that or is there a staffing? Okay. We're doing a retrospective. I'd like to uh, ask uh, Marissa and, and James Jackson, who, who will provide us the details on, on the, the work that was done in the retrospective review for the Alliance Mobile MRI. How long is that going to take? Probably a few minutes. Okay. I want to take the chair's uh, prerogative to thank for what I think will be the last committee meeting of uh, Mr. Jackson, who is a personal friend, but more importantly, uh, an esteemed executive of this health system and a revered member of our community, both here in Oakland and Alameda and San Leandro. And it is a huge loss on so many levels for your leaving, but we wish you the best. I'll, know I'll see you at the Green Market in Oakland. And uh, um, thank you for your service to um, our patients. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Healthcare Service MRI Retrospect Review. Um, just a contract overview. Uh, we've had the contract for three years. It's instigated uh, June 3rd, 2015. I'm uh, sorry, June 4th, 2015. Hold on one second until we get the fidelity of the mic straightened out. So I don't have that. There we go. Can you tilt it up a little bit, Morris? How's that? I don't think it's good. How's that? That's better. The amount of this contract for the three years that we have paid is two million and three. Um, the level goals of the contract are services for five days. We've had service for three days at Alameda and two days at San Leandro. Um, the mobile that they provide us is the five days, uh, technologist and a tech aide. Um, the contract was approved in July 28, 2015. Any questions on that? Okay. Um, the review of services. I'm going to tell you the current state right now. The net, the net loss of this contract is 303,000 uh, per year. Um, the average of calendars, which is patients, is 4.35. Um, the need to increase the volume by 30% to meet and break even on these contracts. If we can Was see. the contract signed with an expectation of breaking even or generating revenue? That's a very good question. I don't have the answer. Okay. Because if we accepted it, you know, three years ago saying this is going to cost X number of dollars to provide this service, then it's different than it hasn't performed. So, so we, there was not an MRI at San Leandro at that time. And so one of the things that we did when we got to San Leandro, we asked the medical staff what were the things they needed. And they said, we've not had an MRI here. Business is leaving. They could be done here if you had an MRI. And so that was one of our promises was that we would reinstate the MRI service. We built this essentially betting on the come because okay. we could grow the volume. And so we didn't have a past precedent to really look at. And so that's why um, we set a target. We didn't achieve that target. Okay. Um, we have some proposed options for the future. One of the proposals is decreasing service days, which would increase our encounters into the units uh, per day. Um, if we do that, some of the assumptions are everything would stay flat. Uh, we would decrease the days, increase the encounters, and that profit would be 125000 per year. And the average encounters would go up, decrease the days, um, have the encounters go up, and then we're going to have uh, the average encounter going up. Any questions on that? Um, proposal two, and this is an assumption-based uh, proposal, is that the Alliance data that we have... Mm. Um, the, the Alliance data that we have right now 
there are about 1,000 plus MRIs going out of our network. Um, if we can keep those people in our network, even if we can keep 70% of those into our network, we would increase our encounters. Um, and then the net profit on that would be 55,000 per year. And the average encounter would go up if we decrease days. Any questions on that? Yes. Yeah, how, how are you going to increase that, uh, <laughs> that out-of-network flow? In other words, get it back in network. What would be the plan for that? So, so the, the idea, and um, perhaps others in the room could speak to it, but this is about our relationship with the Alliance, and we believe that working with the Alliance, we can essentially stop the leakage and get that business to come to our facilities versus what it's doing currently, which is going out of, uh, out of the health system. But the Alliance, aren't they controlling the authorization? So yes. On a referral, they're going to control the authorization anyway, right? Uh, is that right? The, yeah, exactly. So, so I, I think with this, I mean, what the, the, the group or the, the, the team has presented to you is, is is options for how we might approach the contract going forward. With this one, I, I have noted that I think that there is a bit of a iffiness to this because we're not capitated uh, for this service, and so our, our, our you know one of the challenges here is if the patients are in network and as we capitate for primary care, we'll we'll have the ability to steer the referral a little bit better for those patients. They're not restricted, but we have the ability to steer it more because we're making the referral. The challenge for us is, or the greater challenge is, if they are out of the network uh, and getting care out of the network and aren't restricted in that way, and the referrals are happening then, that all happens without our involvement, and, and, and we're not actively working to get that because there's a lot more that we'd have to figure out before we got there. So is the Alliance using outside providers too and authorizing other providers as well? No, I think they're using, I, I don't know that level of detail, but my guess is that they're using their in-network providers, but for, again, for us, um, their network is broader than us, and so they can use someone in-network who's not necessarily an AHS uh, provider or an AHS uh, uh, sort of a, a deliverer of the services. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I have some concerns with, with, with this one in particular. I, I know where it's coming from, and if they, to the extent that you know they've been conservative here and said, you know, can we do 70% of this? I think it's, a, it's still somewhat, somewhat tenuous. So. Are you coming back for finance committee approval for a month-to-month -month contract? Or are you coming back for? It's gonna, yeah, we'll get to the next slide. Yeah. Because it says continued contract, so obviously it has a month-to-month -month component to it. Yeah, it's okay. a month-to-month -month component right now. Yes. Um, okay. So we would go to month-to-month, -month, um, looking and uh, analyzing our evaluation of strategic months, needs right. for three months, or initiate four a request for proposal to process so and evaluate options one or two, and and then move forward with MRI services again. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is, and thank you, uh, Marisa. This is, uh, again, a little bit more to your, your question, Trustee Charlin. It's really driven by kind of further diving into this because uh, the other piece is geography, right? So those 1,000-plus those uh, opportunities that exist out there, where are they? You know, if they approximate to us, then this may present an opportunity. If it's just about marketing, if it's just about, you know, making sure that they know the service is available, that could, that could uh, uh, get us in the door a little bit more. But if it's... If they are far away from us, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's more than yeah. It's not on the road. Right? Well, so, so yeah. So I mean, I, I, and, and that's I think that's the intent. Well, what, what what the team is communicating, or what this reflects, basically, is the fact that the current state really is not not an option for us. A change is going to be required, and so one of two things needs to happen. We either need to scale back um, the number of days so we can increase the number of procedures and increase our productivity, and and and, and you know, and or 
continue to expand and see if we can have additional growth that will then sustain the current you know, uh, structure of the contract. And so, you know, that's what we're going to do over the next couple of months. Marissa and her team are working very closely with Tangerine, who uh, is, is helping us in evaluating some of that data when we're looking at uh, our assigned lives within our managed care plan and how we're saying, okay, well, some of our assigned lives are getting these services in other locations. How can we look at capturing those and being that provider of choice for them? And so that's the exercise that we're doing over the next couple months. And the plan is that once we have all that laid out, we will be coming, at, coming back to the finance committee uh, for a recommendation to uh, proceed with services that will be structured based on the analysis and based on the information that we gather. And will that, will that analysis, the, the population analysis or the, you know, the area analysis of where those lives are, but will the fact that we are increasing general surgery at, uh, at San Leandro or doing acute rehab over there, does that relate also to the necessity for MRI services or growth or anything like that for the kind of patients who are, uh, who will be... For rehab, I don't think we will increase services for the MRI-driven um, patient encounters. Um, for surgery, I think that most of the business coming from the MRI is orthopedic. So if you're going to increase orthopedic surgeries at San Leandro or Alameda, then you would see an increase in MRI, but it would be the assumption of how much you get. Mm. So it's not something you're banking on? I'm not banking out right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I hope the best, but mm -hmm. right now that would be the only way I could see business going in, in those two areas. Okay, thank you. Our South County patients prefer much more to go to San Diego. And uh, today in our visit to Newark, they were, they were actually praising their experience at San Diego in the radiology department from the provider standpoint and the patients. Uh, it's right. easier than coming to high. So, yes. Uh, so one of the things when I, when I came on board was that I did see MRI is a very hot modality in most hospitals. So one of the things I, I did try to do was go out to the wellness centers and speak to the managers and the physicians about bringing their business to San Leandro specifically because at that point I was just San Leandro. Um, and telling them what our services are, our hours are, and a lot of them didn't know we offered them the service of MRI. A lot of them didn't know our hours. Um, and and I think that by just going out and talking to them and, and, and them now understanding we do have these services, it did help the growth, that it wasn't as much growth as I was looking for. And I do have a monthly a meeting with the wellness centers to discuss, you know, I, I'm not seeing the growth that you, you promised. I'm hoping that we can work together and try to increase. But that's kind of where we're at right now. When do you start the month to month? Um, we'll start it in June. Okay. One more question. Are we open to all payers or are we out of certain networks? I don't think that we have. We don't have Anthem at San Leandro yet. We have Anthem Bellamina now, but right. we don't have right. Anthem. That's right. Okay. Thank so we look forward to coming back and with yep. some sort of great idea on how to make this work. And I hope so. I'd like to keep the services. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you very okay. much. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Thank you, Marissa. Okay. Okay. We're on to contracts. And uh, Ms. Barnes, if you'll come up. I will preface this, especially since we're short on time, that I'm not happy with the presentation that was contained in the board pack. Um, we're pretty fastidious about reading what's presented, um, which uh, Mr. Holly will agree that more times than not, we ask him to just 
anyway, we, we, we read. And there were just so many things left out that we're going to have to ask you to present to fill in some of it. Because obviously we want to support what you do. This is a huge amount. Um, and we're grateful for what you've done. And we have some explaining to do. So. <laughs> before, yeah. you, before you jump in, thank you. And thank you, Trustee yeah. uh, uh, Thompson. Uh, also, both, uh, before we uh, delve in here, both of this one and, and I know there's other contracts we'll, we'll have to discuss too. Uh, always appreciate the feedback in terms of making the process uh, 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 not just more transparent for you, but also with all of the requisite detail and information that would help you to make an informed decision in your in your capacities. And so uh, we'll look for both with this presentation and some subsequent ones and hearing kind of uh, additional information, deficits or gaps that might help you uh, uh, and, and take note of those and kind of discuss uh, when, they, when they may be warranted and uh, otherwise uh, not be. And I'll say with this one, um, uh, one of the pieces that Deborah is going to share with you now is an element of the, we don't bring the full contract, we do the summary. And some of these elements were in the contract themselves, uh, exhibits and otherwise, and, and didn't appreciate that that part is still probably very helpful for you. So hopefully, as Deborah walks through it for this contract, uh, it'll reflect kind of the robust discussions we've had and uh, why I have confidence and support it. But, but okay. I mean, I think it's a great approach. Um, this answers the questions that I had, and you know, I'm willing to support it. I mean, we know that at any time a year from now, if for somehow you've never missed a target, but you, you're off target, we can come back and ask you for another proposal. So with that sure. being a preface, there's a lot of flexibility unlike so many of our contracts. So. Sure. Thank so you. if you can read through this. I understand that um, my presentation is between me and the exit uh, door, so I'll be as quick as I can <laughs> about it. Um, for those of you who are new, um, the foundation comes to you uh, every three years to ask for a supplemental subsidy uh, contract. And the reason for that is because most of the money that we raise is restricted uh, for either programs, services, uh, often equipment, like we're heading into the EHR contract, uh, fundraising for that uh, particular service uh, in our next contract. And uh, our unrestricted funds simply don't support our operations uh, to the extent that, that we have them. So the subsidy is intended uh, to provide support to help us meet our overhead uh, in cases in some months when we don't have the, um, the unrestricted funds to do so. Um, overall, uh, we are asking for uh, a contract that uh, you'll find, I hope, is a very good uh, investment. It's an investment in uh, raising funds uh, for a new uh, electric uh, health record, as well as for equipment uh, in 2019 in particular. We are looking forward to raising funds not only uh, in the tune of $6 million uh, for the beginning of our electronic health record commitment uh, with Del Vecchio and team of raising a total of $30 million for that project, but also uh, we are uh, raising funds to the tune of $1.1 million for very much needed uh, diagnostic equipment here at the Highland Hospital now that we're a level one trauma center. And that includes a new CT scanner, a couple of ultrasound uh, pieces, and other diagnostic equipment. That, uh, that we expect will come in in our next fiscal year, and that's part of the bump in 2019 uh, income. Also, on May 3rd, we kicked off a very 
first San Leandro Hospital campaign to raise funds for much-needed diagnostic equipment there, a digital mammography, uh, nuclear medicine equipment, and X-ray machines that are needed to, to help keep the ER going. Um, so we're looking forward to raising $4 million uh, there in, for that support as well. And that also includes a close to a million dollars for acute rehab, physical therapy, and OT equipment. So we're very excited about doing that. Um, we did a feasibility study with our, uh, with our campaign consultants to see if we could raise $30 million, and the response was favorable. We have some things that they have recommended that we do that we're already working on, like increasing our board and our, our June meeting, our, our, our last meeting of the fiscal year. Uh, we'll be welcoming three of four people we hope to recruit who are new from the community, including a state planning attorney, a physician who is uh, chief of anesthesiology here and has been Stanford trained in philanthropy and uh, is really excited about uh, doing his service to us. Um, so we're, we're setting up our housekeeping. We're hoping to begin the EHR campaign as soon as our contract is funded in July. And that will be a three-year effort. Um, what you see here is just the income we expect, about $18 million in this three-year contract, but we are committed to raising the full $30 million. It's just a timing issue. With that, I'll stop and ask you other questions. Can I ask you the campaign expense, Lauren, on sure. page 114? You have $1.1 million for a uh, wall. And yes. I don't know if President Trump asked you to build part of his, or uh, <laughs> I think his is going to cost a little bit more than ours. <laughs> this, this is part of uh, the phase three uh, construction, and we have been allocated space for a donor wall to acknowledge all the donors who have contributed to the ATR campaign, as well as to accommodate donors who were elsewhere, you know, with uh, some of the pavers out in the driveway before the construction was done, uh, some of the other donor walls that are being consolidated, and will be ongoing uh, donor walls is, is practice in most healthcare and hospital lobbies. In addition to that, we firmly believe that, um, you know, all just like all politics is local, so too is all giving. And so when we do our San Leandro campaign, we'd like to have a culture of philanthropy there that grows and expands over time. And having a donor wall for the efforts we're about to embark on, we believe will be very effective, as will be naming opportunities. Okay. Any other questions? Two walls, yes. <laughs> they don't spam the... <laughs> yeah, connected, and then you have security to guard it, and now you know it's a big mess. Um, any other questions from trustees? If not, I take a motion to approve. Move to approve. Second from trustee. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Abstain? Aye. Uh, uh, trustee DeVries, did you have a... You just said aye. Oh, thank you. No, I'm aye. Oh. Okay, so actually, we need to vote by roll call since you actually want to vote. Oh, okay. We didn't do that when we moved the minutes. Second. We didn't uh, follow that protocol when we approved the minutes. I that missed that completely. My apologies. No, no, I just wanted to make sure. So, uh, we'll call. Let me turn on my mic, sir. Okay, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet was not here, sorry. Trustee Charland. Aye. Trustee Shequin. Aye. Trustee DeVries. Aye. <laughs> um, Trustee Thompson. Aye. Yeah. Motion passes. 
Thank you very much, Deborah. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you very much. And thank you for also responding to my um, invitation to participate in our gala. We have almost 100% participation from this board of trustees. And it's very important to our other donors to see that you are there and celebrating with us. Thank you. I would come if I were in town. Yes, I, I understand, trustee. You've already given good regrets, and we understand. Thank you. Okay, Thank she's you. going to present Dr. Jamalady in the Alameda Inpatient Medical. Okay. Yes, uh, this is a contract uh, to uh, 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 coverage for uh, three important sites. One is John George, the other is Fairmont Rehab, and the third is Fairmont Sniff. So currently the AIM group covered those services as hospitalist medicine. Uh, in this contract, we have expanded the coverage as we are seeing uh, sicker patients coming to John George and to Fairmont with more medical illnesses. So we are covering uh, more hours in the in the emergency room uh, at the at the John George Hospital, and we are covering also more hours at the weekend for Fairmont and, and the SNF. Uh, plus, we are passing on the directorship as a single directorship of the SNF Fairmont uh, to the AIM group. Uh, uh, in this contract, uh, uh, we are keeping the profits to the AIM group because there is no uh, opportunity for supplemental fund here. And we've had conversation with the AIM group about joining Alameda Health Partners that we are going to look into during terms of this contract. And, and then once uh, we are on EPIC, we'll be able to more integrate those, those services. What's the current contract with AIM, the value of the last contract that was approved versus this one? So uh, we have, uh, uh, do, do you remember the numbers? Um, actually, I prepared a little bit, I'm not sure if this is on, but anyway, um, I prepared a spreadsheet. This is actually um, a consolidation of five separate contracts that okay. are being integrated into each other. The aggregate total compensation on an annual basis for those um, aggregated contracts was 1.3 million if you round. Um, the proposed annual replacement contract cost here on an annual basis is 1.8. Um, if you break that down to try to understand okay. where that large increase comes from, mm -hmm. what it really is attributable to are two things. First of all, the majority of the increase is reliant on the carryover services that were already provided by AIM under those prior five contracts. Those contracts have been in place without any increase for, I believe, four years. So they had gone without any adjustment for a long period of time. There was also another element that I Why didn't you continue that? Oh, well, they had an opinion on that, and there was also some history there. Um, their contracts were entered into right around the time that Alameda Hospital and then AIM, I believe, also was affiliated and brought into the system in a bigger situation. At that time, my department didn't exist, and based on what I've seen with other contracts entered into around that period of time, there wasn't a thoroughness that you might have expected. And sometimes contract rates were not where they ought to have been. And one of the elements that was rather surprising, at least to me when we did the analysis that led to this contract proposal, was that there was no pay or very, very limited pay for a large requirement for call coverage. So professional services were reimbursed, but they were essentially 
almost giving away other coverage. And that was not really appropriate or fair, and this was the time when we needed to address that. Okay. And so that was the large element of that came from. Okay, so this is an increase in scope, but with people that are doing great work for us. Yes. And, um, okay, please. There's an element also, we had a, an individual physician contract with up to 300,000 that we, we retired that contract. So that physician is no longer with us, who was doing the directorship. So we have an element of scale right in by having one single director for this. So we have like a contract that we, services that we terminated one of the physician who was doing work there. Okay, any questions? No. Okay, take a motion to approve. I move to approve. Second. All in favor? Do we need a vote? Sorry. Yes. Trustee Banerjee? Aye. Trustee Chiland? Aye. Trustee Chiquin? Aye. Trustee DeVries? Aye. Trustee Thompson? Aye. Motion passes. Thank you very much. Do we need to uh, ratify the previous motions? Because we didn't. It's a minute. I'll take the motion to approve um, GE Healthcare and then we'll talk about it if we need to. I move. Second. Great. Any discussion? Roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee? Aye. Trustee Chairman? Aye. Trustee Shequin? Aye. Trustee DeVries? Aye. Trustee Thompson. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you very much. I would like to move number to number five, if we may, um, the RESOF contract. Um, take a motion to approve that. I move. Second. Thank you. Uh, any discussion from uh, the tr my trustees? I'll call vote, please. Trustee Banerjee? Aye. Trustee Chiron? Aye. Trustee Shequin? Aye. Trustee DeVries? Trustee Thompson. Hi. Motion passes. Thank you very much. <clears throat> when I received a draft of the agenda for this meeting two weeks ago, um, I certainly saw United Universal on it, but there was no dollar amount. So I was a little astounded that a $17 million contract has appeared on the agenda. And I think there are just a number of issues with this contract. I mean, this is a Southern California contract. Um, for uh, Alameda County-based health system that's supposed to be an anchor institution um, with plenty of local security companies. And, you know, we don't ask tons of questions because it's not necessarily our job to get into the weeds on every contract. Um, but this is a huge contract, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's appropriate to come back with some more explanation on it or to take time now to go through it. Um, um, can I, can, uh, I'll, I'll offer something. Yeah. I'll respond and then I'll offer. So, so I appreciate the perspective. Uh, uh, as I was saying earlier, obviously I think there are some times where you know we, we can learn uh, and, and improve the process, and I, this may be this may well be one of them, uh, as was the foundation one. And so I do think that. Um, I'd like to beg your indulgence, time notwithstanding, uh, to have the team uh, go through understanding that this was such a huge contract, uh, some of the deliberations that went into this, uh, and some additional detail beyond what you saw in the contract summary. Uh, we can certainly learn from this to think about how much preliminary detail we provide and where's that threshold of the size of a contract that may warrant uh, that sort of uh, consideration uh, from your perspective. But uh, if you if you would be uh, kind or willing to, would like to try that. And if, you know, your, your opinion is still that you think there's more work to be done or that we need to uh, uh, recast it, then we'll, we'll take that feedback. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay. So I will have... Uh, 
Daljit Sangha, go ahead and provide you. He was the one leading this effort here, and he can talk you through and hopefully address some of those points. Absolutely. Good evening, trustees. Uh, so we'll just jump right into it. A couple quick um, points on the background, just to set the stage at security in the healthcare setting. And I'll talk a little bit more about this theme. It's very specific. Um, here in the healthcare setting, it's uh, focused. It's not law enforcement. So sworn officers like Alameda County Sheriff's deputies or uh, police department presidents, this is not that. This is an entity that provides the observe, report, and um, support to personnel, patients, and public to really protect that atmosphere and also just the physical safety of the plant, physical structure. Yep. Uh, the current security footprint, um, it, it is a not recommended practice to include the specifics of current postings and placements of individuals, um, both in current or future state, but offline, if you're interested in learning about what to look like today and where and, and what's going to look like in the future, that can easily be provided. But um, overall, this 24-7 coverage at the five hospitals and then our three standalone wellness centers, we have that coverage based on the hours that they're open. Uh, this is where we'll spend a little bit of time talking about the question that you posed, Trustee Thompson. Uh, but when it comes to security, particularly at uh, Alameda Health System and also at every other um, organization, it is, a standing, uh, it is a standing conversation topic across the system, whether formal or informal. Just, it's a very visceral, uh, emotional, physical, spiritual kind of conversation given the, what we're doing to protect the safety. So what we did here, and this is just a really a, um, a snapshot of the individuals across the system that are involved in this process. And so this represents across the entire administrative, medical staff, and the nursing staff who were involved um, from across the different sites. And so we have about um, almost 30 individuals involved, both in the evaluation panel, the actual act of sitting and reviewing the presentations on the left and on the right, uh, the individuals who are involved with the scope development in terms of what do we want to see in future state and current state. So uh, in this public setting, uh, while I won't go down and read the names, uh, these individuals did contribute quite a lot of time and effort into making sure we're um, focused on a, a safe and secure future HS. Now, uh, the element there below, and I mentioned earlier about security in, um, in a healthcare setting. Now, security in a healthcare setting is a very specific niche. This is uh, an entities and individuals that are very familiar with the regulatory requirements of healthcare. So these are ownerships across um, even a variety of entities that come in and survey us, Joint Commission, CDPH, uh, CMS surveys, local surveys. Um, there's a graph around, for example, emergency management. Uh, there's life safety issues. There are other things that focus on security and actual plan, what to do when um, disaster response. So a lot of very specific things. And so that level of expertise and that level of niche is often requires an um, incredible amount of infrastructure, whether that's plugged into uh, regulatory developments, plugged into constant um, engagement with policy development at a federal level, at a state level. It could be also then with uh, the, you know, the regulatory accreditation bodies. That being said, that's also then plugged into the infrastructure of how training is delivered, uh, how plans are developed in partnership with the entity in place. So with that being kind of the framework of the specific skill set that's required, uh, a lot of the vendors that we invited, we looked at six particular vendors, and we looked at who could have that skill set that can bring that value and that strength to AHS. But also, knowing that that infrastructure and that support that's needed to really build a great program these are like entities that have large national and international footprints. So there is, for example, a security entity that could be here uh, with regional offices that also have regional offices across the country. Uh, they could be international in places like Spain, Rome, et cetera. And while they may have um, a, a uh, office that's listed on their publicly available information, that there all are specifically regional offices that support that local group that provide the recruitment and the um, retention from the communities that they serve. And I can tell you a little bit more about just some stats there. 
but of the six vendors, they all, all six uh, have a presence and had a, have a headquarters in Alameda County. Uh, you'll see that only four vendors responded. And well, the there's a big difference, a point of privilege, to having an office in Alameda County because you've got a $17 million contract with Alameda Health System than being actually headquartered in Alameda County. I, I agree. It's a huge difference. I think it's a huge difference. Mexico has an office here, but they're headquartered in Armont, New York. Agreed. And I, and I think the intent, though, of a local, uh, local uh, entity and also being an anchor institution is you really want to drive the investment in the local community. That's both in jobs going back to the community. That's both in providing a, um, a reasonable and uh, competitive salary to folks that are in the community that have been providing the service. And also then being able to um, support just other administrative roles and responsibilities for whom we partner with. So I agree with your distinction, uh, but I also believe that one of the ro roles and one of the things that we're aiming to integrate in our DNA, as Luis mentioned earlier, with the, with the Vizient partnerships, is really more of a codified process of how do we invest back in the local community with the community that we're serving. And we believe that um, with the staffing and the retention that we're going to be seeing in this contract uh, and other future, future contracts that come, that that will, true to that vein and that soul of that argument, we would be able to do that. Okay, we're going to ask for a special presentation right. on local and trust, trustee degrees, but there's a huge distinction between PepsiCo hiring local people in Alameda to fill soda pop and PepsiCo being a local company. You know, this is not a local company, even though they hire local people to, pro to provide their service. But, but yeah, I don't think we're, yeah, we, we're, I, I think what you hear is we're not disagreeing with you. There's, okay. there's also a big distinction in when you do a contract with a vendor where, where they are based somewhere else, and the, and the crux of that not only where they're based, but their workforce. So they're not, they don't live here. They don't, the, the, the people aren't employed or paying taxes here or doing other, that's how there's some consulting arrangements, for example, where you have people, you're doing something with somebody who's headquartered somewhere else and their people may be from their headquarters or all over the country, uh, including locally, but that, 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 that a big portion of the amount that you're paying in that contract is not dollars that are being infused back into your local economy. Then there are places where there are, you know, a, a national headquarters or international headquarters somewhere else, but a local office and the crux of the workforce is local. That, that therein lies the prospect that a lot of the dollars for which you are contracting for those services do actually remain in your community. There's some overhead that may go out of it. Well, the profit of the company is going elsewhere. The, the, the profit of the company uh, as, a, as, a, as a sort of a overhead component of it, but the revenue for or the, uh, the, the dollars that are paid for the services, though, a lot of that stays in your community because it's still hiring people here, and they and they are living here, and they're shopping here, and they're going to school here, so the thing that still contribute to the economy here, and I think, you know, there's gradations of an anchor that you can do. There's also gradations of anchor that you can't do. You have to tap into what's available, and while you want to infuse and enhance people's ability to uh, do that, you, we, we won't, I don't think as an anchor institution, we'll ever be able to uh, uh, basically serve as a basis for somebody wanting to take this on and do it to the degree that we want. There's some way that we might compensate for that if, if, the, if the relative proportion is, is negligible and we can, as an organization, espouse a value by contributing to it. But, but if it isn't, if it's substantial or if it is, doesn't exist, we're limited in how much we can do in that vein. Yeah, but there's also a big distinction between hiring Clark Construction to build this campus and using local people to do it and hiring which in, in, you could not find a company locally with the confidence to build this and hiring a vendor to provide security services 
that may not be that is not a local company. Well, I mean, I think the structure is we can't hire these people, but I'm just saying we need a lot more information. I agree. I think Reese, you had a question. If similar sure. through Mr. Finley. Well, let me just say real quick. Construction security, obviously, yeah, a different sort of skill set in terms of uh, technical elements that go behind just the work that's being done. However, uh, what we're trying to expose here is on the security piece. There's a difference in being a security officer in a healthcare setting than being in a mall or being, uh, you know, uh, a park or, or something like that. So, so they're they're in uh, also uh, sort of gradations of of what's available out there. If you can predict this sort of thing and anticipate it, and I think we have some work to do on that front, then we may be able to sort of forecast not just for us but for other <coughs> healthcare providers in the area a need for which, as an anchor institution, we could actually say in three years, if you build the infrastructure for this, here's a $15 million contract that we'll do that we'd love to invest in somebody locally doing it. But at the point that we're at now, if that's not already existing, our ability to sort of invest in it and have it up and going is, is limited, is all I'm saying. I would gather a hazard a guess for risk of hate mail that if we were, if one of our guards were terminated today, they would be at the East Mount Mall with the same skill set that they're here. Um, yeah, but with, with a different set of expectation for the work that they have to do here. So whether or not they have the skill is one thing, but whether or not they get, I don't know if the reverse is true, that if somebody were fired from, from East Mount Mall, could they come here without uh, training? Trustee Briggs, yes, thank you, Mr. Shulman. Sure. I get sure. it. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, think this, I think this conversation is a little bit academic. I, I, I actually, uh, I, I agree obviously with the, with the anchor institution and the profit sitting here. I guess my question is, do we know if there are qualified local businesses that can yeah. take this contract the and do they, do they compete? Yeah. I, don't, I don't have that in front of me. I just have the one that, that staff is recommending. And, um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. And I think well, I'd like to take borrow some of the words that Trustee Thompson just used around, you know, the uh, club construction versus others and the really confidence of that. So you'll notice that there's a difference. There's a difference in the numbers. Six vendors invited to participate, four uh, four responded. One was just non-responsive. But the one that did respond was a local company based exactly in Oakland, California, who indicated that respectfully, humbly and respectfully, that they do not have the skill set to possess to respond to the contract for all the requirements listed in the scope of work, many of the regulatory elements and the other pieces. So I think um, the example that was utilized about the reciprocal, if one were to leave East Mountain to come over, can they have that skill set? And so, uh, and, and further kind of prodding with that individual to really uh, one, it's kind of one of those things is take a swing. It's a really good experience for you as a future, uh, as a security firm in the future, just participate. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Uh, all, um, all that would happen to us is just an extra proposal to read. But in that conversation, the individuals did share, uh, and in my further substantiation, that they have uh, more of a nightlife presence for more of the clubs and bars in the area. And when researching it further in Alameda County, others who have a firm actual footprint based, actually, in their headquarters in Alameda County, Similar, uh, it was a similar demographic. And so that is just uh, one example of kind of the basis of, you know, what can we do with the skill set for the system, but that's a, a one example I can also provide you. How can we have that detail, detail put in our abstract so that we just know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what Trustee DeVries has said is that's the question that we need to have answered. I think, and this gets to my earlier point, I, I, I respect the, uh, the, the request. Uh, I don't know that, in terms of what, the amount of detail, uh, uh, we can figure out the sweet spot, but we also want to figure out at what point do we do that? Because every single contract may not have a local vendor element to it, uh, uh, but others may, or maybe it's the amount of it that says, you know, I really want to make sure that you 
tilled the land here because this seems like the type of service where you should have been able, in the amount, where we want to make sure our values are being expelled. So, so we'll be open to some yeah, feedback. I, I think that in this situation where you're talking about uh, security services, and I happen to know that uh, security services is an often an entry-level employment opportunity uh, that can be uh, offered to people that are from disenfranchised communities, it, it, it's hard for me to see that there's a, a, a high-tech skill set or a skill set to meet, you know, hospital standards. I, I didn't know that. And so, A, the size of the contract, and B, what it's for, indicates to me that we really want that, that level of detail. So that's that's an end of one. We'd be happy to do that. Obviously, we want to do that for this one. I, if, if you can think of others uh, where, and we'll do this too, but if you can think of others where you say, you know, when you bring that forward, we want a little bit more granularity around how did you espouse Inc. or uh, approach to seeking potential vendors to considering the responses uh, that you got, that sort of thing. So so I, 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 I sort of respond to your request with, a, with an ask, but we'll certainly do it for this. Uh, uh, if, if necessary, as we go forward with this one or, or with this and others in the future. Okay, were there any others who responded that were Bay Area based, if they weren't Oakland, Alameda? Correct. There was, a, there was a, uh, of the four, there was one entity that responded that was focused heavily on the law enforcement piece, and they're based only in Alameda County, and their coverage is only Alameda County. Uh, but they themselves were weaker than on the on the regulatory pieces, all the elements to really put the institution and the system in a good standing when the regulatory bodies come in. They self, um, they self confess that they do not have that skill set and that is, it would be a weakness on our part um, to pose if, if found for findings, eventually could lead to the worst, like an immediate jeopardy case for the system. If they, while pose that yes, they can provide more law enforcement, they did indicate that of the scope of work, the piece that is required for us in our health system is not present. Okay. Do you want to get to that? You know what? And, there, and also just if I, if I just made, um, uh, of the cost that you see in um, uh, the 17 million contract, that entity also was three times the cost of this contract. The, the Alameda County one? Correct. Three times. Yes, yeah, so it was about so a little shy of 50 million. Well, that's because they had to be skilled because they were carrying a gun if they were law enforcement. So I assume you were hiring a different <coughs> person to do that. So that's not surprising. I would want to get in a conversation about law enforcement. Uh, I mean, my concern is, well, that, that's more of a quality question. So let me go back to, I think I would have been satisfied with a broad narrative description of um, the vendor process, selection process that you went through. Okay. I'm not looking for, the, this particular trustee is not looking for uh, in hoop names and, and scores and I, I I think it would have been more than satisfactory to get what we just got now in writing in a paragraph. That's just my comment. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Also, just if I may, um, Trustee Thompson, your comment about the carrying weapons, the individuals for that proposal were non-weapon carrying. It was specifically called on the proposal. We do not want um, to take occupy the post. We do not require uh, armed guards. So um, that was... They're, they're not carrying weapons. But the price was still, but the price was still shy of 50 million. Yeah. And knowing the sensitivities, it would be good to be proactive on contracts like this to make sure that we've been fully investigated what the potential options are within the county itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you on that. And, and as I was saying, you know, thinking about 
these types of services, uh, they, they, they are exactly the type that would lend themselves to being able to scale, not just for us, but for others, and that uh, presents opportunity. We are looking at some of those things in other areas right now. Uh, they haven't come forward. Uh, and this summer, um, uh, so in the fall, I expect that we'd be able to give an update on this. But this summer, in specific, uh, we are bringing in an intern to help us with uh, uh, advancing our anchor institution efforts. So we've been working over the last couple of months to set that up, and we've uh, identified an intern and you know, go through that work, and we can provide more detail on that later. That's, that's really good. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to add that. I think this is an area where um, there are some values questions, too. Um, we just hear the, we see the national conversation around how people of color are treated mm -hmm. by people in uniforms. Mm -hmm. And it concerns me, and I'm sure, you know, given what you just reported, you were paying attention to this, and I'm not surprised at all. It's, there's sensitivity within the system. But I think that, um, I just would say out loud that that has to be a really uh, important value that we uh, reflect in this. I was touched by your article today that was released and, and just reminded of the great disparity we have um, in this country around color. It's, there's a waistline. And, and I just, so I, I think, you know, finding a vendor who can appropriately provide services in a way that fits our values is really important. Understood and agree. If I may just continue and, and wrap up these, uh, just one more slide or two. Uh, so one of the things here is in terms of the, you'll see supervision requirements, retention recruitment, uh, guard responsibilities and training and oversight. Within that, part of it was in this proposal, we saw that there are in the training pieces, cultural humility is a required element of training for both uh, entry-level guards as well as supervisors. Mm -hmm. uh, things personalized such as EMTALA requirements, customized ED training, customized training for labor and delivery, and customized training in behavioral health settings, all very different, all components that make up our system, but also very unique in the settings and the patients they serve. So it was, um, I, I appreciate your comments. I think that's um, very key to keep front of mind, uh, as well as just the ability to have part of the discussion on the contracting process and, and the terms around local sourcing, what that actually means for us. But uh, before you, was just the, uh, the criteria that was utilized to, to score um, the, the vendors, which allowed us to end up with um, Allied Universal, and here's just a component of uh, key benefits of that partnership, the 24-7 coverage, uh, the coverage at um, the clinics Monday to Saturday, uh, three portfolio managers to support uh, the daily operations of uh, the, all the aforementioned indications we talked about, training, oversight, regulatory requirements, ensuring that's a complete package, uh, uh, supervisor uh, support during the swing and night shifts when there's often uh, a dearth of support service there and, and support for those uh, staff members that are working. Uh, and the development of a security program uh, for escorting from our staff to the vehicles. And then we just again cover the supervision piece that um, was here. And this is the uh, comments in the final request. Um, yeah, we get that. Um, so thank you very much. Of course. Helpful. Thanks for the questions. Well, I was going to wrap up this meeting with some action assignments that came out of our retreat, one of which was a local vendor review. Um, and this is all part of that. And I really think we need to have a discussion and some um, management uh, suggestions on, you know, maybe adding another box on our contract summaries that say for a million to five local vendor sourced, yes, no, and then for over five or whatever dollar amount you or we decide um, to, to an explanation why a local vendor wasn't chose, and maybe it's Alameda County, Bay Area, 
California national? I don't know. Um, but I think that something really quick and easy per contract would be helpful and maybe not bog down Mr. Holly too much. But if you can come back with a proposal for that next meeting, um, I think that would be helpful. And is, is that because this, will, this yeah. is one of the things we discussed at the retreat? And again, had no idea a $17 million contract was coming our way before we really discussed the local vendor issue anyway. So, anyway, we're a little ahead of the game on that. Um, that said, um, I don't want to spend all night arguing about this. It's a huge contract. I guess as trustees, we need to just say, are we comfortable with what has been presented today to make a, to, to own this contract? And if we are, I'm happy to take a motion to proceed. If we aren't, we can ask to have it come back. So, um, Comfortable, I would move. I'm marginally content as well. So I'll second that. Okay, well, then now the chair hasn't asked for a motion to proceed, but now that he has, Trustee Chowan has uh, first, and uh, Trustee um, Banerjee has seconded a motion to agree with. Um, any other discussion, Mr. Uh, Trustee DeVries? Any questions from you? No, I just uh, thank the staff for, for, for bringing this clarification to us. I think it is really helpful. Okay, uh, roll call vote, please. Trustee Banerjee? Aye. Trustee Charland? Aye. Trustee Sheeklin? Aye. Trustee DeVries? Aye. Trustee Thompson? Aye. Motion passes. Okay. Okay, any other? I want to thank you for the feedback. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. We're all working together on this. Um, so one of the action items is a local vendor review, and we can work on the termin not, um, terminology on that. Um, something that Trustee Chiquin that was actually relevant to today's discussion that we need to have some more information on is our defined pension plan, and um, you know what are our liabilities for that, and perhaps how it kind of functions. So if we can have a little presentation on that. And then coming out of our, our visit to uh, Alameda Hospital, um, it really would be helpful today and next month to have an update on the Oshpad, Oshpad permit deadline for the Alameda Hospital kitchen issues. So if you can keep that on the action item agenda, and is there any, how are we doing with that? No report for today. I will provide you a more detailed report next week in our walk. Yeah, uh, there, there was a local meeting. Yeah. Uh, uh, any other comments from my colleagues? From management? Um, a, a motion to adjourn and then followed by a roll call vote. Oh, sorry, we yes. had a clarifying question uh, about the pension plan. Uh, are we, we assume you just mean a Sarah, or do you mean all of our? I think it's a We never discussed it since I've been here, so it would be good to review. Okay. Is that you? Education. Sure. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Trustee Chiquan moves. Trustee Chiquan seconds. Do we need a vote to adjourn or are we? Okay. Let's. Thank you very much for well and good time. Thank you, Thank you Joe. Thank you, Joe.